Welcome to 2022 and the first episode of the year, episode number 41 of the I Am Vinyl podcast. My name is Pete LaRussa, and once again, I am opening up the year with my co-host and cohort, Mr. Joey Haney. Happy New Year, Joey. Happy New Year to you too, Pete. And uh, man, I got to say, I'm not going to go into detail, but this year has sucked so far. So I'm really happy to be doing the show with you today to get some sort of semblance of normalcy. And as you can see, my book to gun ratio is exactly where it should be. Uh, unless you count the uh, Han Solo blaster, the toy blaster that I have, then it's like nice. 500 to one. But Did it shoot Greedo first? Yeah. <laughs> as far as people making appearances on talk shows, I just wanted to make sure my book to gun ratio was really well in check. So be a good person. Okay. I <laughs> wholeheartedly agree with that. The whole book to gun ratio and the whole thing of, you know, be a good person. It's, it's a good trait to have, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's uh, I'm just getting rid of the riffraff from the get go, you know? So yeah, this is what I do. But you did mention the year has not gotten off to a great start. And just as we're recording this episode today, I know you wanted to discuss this. We heard this morning that uh, Meatloaf had passed away. So I know yeah. you wanted to discuss some things. So the floor is yours. Yeah, I've got two copies of Bad Out of Hell, pretty much like everybody. As David Lee Roth would say, one for the house, one for the car, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not a lifelong fan of Meatloaf. It's one of those things I've appreciated as I've gotten older. We have those artists, you know, like a, like a Springsteen or, you know, like one of those kind of guys with me. Like I see a lot of this going on i'm not mellowing it's just more of being able to appreciate not just songwriting and lyrics but even just like the arrangements so my music theory brain has never died and i love that and of course losing jim steinman last year big loss and of course they are simpatico like you can't have one without the other and it's one of those things yeah i'm a, I'm a basic bitch as far as vinyl goes i've got bad out of hell i do need to get a few more honestly but the really interesting thing about it is, and I, I was pondering this because I'm a fan of listening to like those 80s flashback countdowns and series and stuff like that. And I hear some of the other Meatloaf songs and it's cool to hear that stuff. And even Jim Steinman, his, his solo records, man, he had some killer solo records. So go look those up. But even when Bad Hell had you know, been out for a few years and it was old news by then, uh, there was a, there's a lot of good material there. And of course, you know, us being big Kiss nerds, we know that Bruce Kulick and Bob Kulick are both toured with Meatloaf as guitar players and yes. Bruce's first big gig was really playing with Meatloaf besides the Andrea True Connection, the little spotlight that he had. But mm -hmm. uh, right. I saw his post today and that was really cool. But yeah, I, it's one of those things I say dive decently deep, you know, even just getting like a, there's a good best of or double disc best of it's got, you know, maybe eight songs total on that double disc, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But yeah, the songs are long and, but that's the thing is, they're really overtly thought out, yes, but as I said, and I posted a little tribute to him today on Facebook, and I didn't agree with uh, a lot of his personal stuff, but can't really touch him musically, so I'm just going to stay there. But it's in 1977 when Bad Out of Hell was happening. Uh, I even said the parallel, like, yeah, 77 was the year of punk rock, and it was the year of stuff like Rumors. So you had two different things going on. You had counterculture, you had pop culture, and it's all good. I love it all. A bad a hell was really just this crazy, I don't know what you call it, X Factor or red herring that came along that wasn't supposed to succeed, getting turned down by every major label, all the other stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to do a whole biography here, but 
that's as DIY as it gets. You know, like I said, what Meatloaf did is just as punk rock as anything that Sid Vicious ever did, if not more so. Uh, that guy hustled, man, and he earned everything that he got in show business. So that kind of work great mentality and like what him and Jim did, just it's untouchable stuff. And thankfully, you know, there's music like this that will last forever. But I wanted to see if I could stump you. Of course, I already did the Bruce Kulick bit. So as I was saying, I've been listening to these 80s flashback countdowns to give out facts and everything. And I knew some of these facts here and there. I never knew that Barry Manilow did Read Him and Weep, by the way. I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Manilow? So of- Manilow? Yeah. Manilow. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of people covering or performing songs that were written for Meatloaf. And so we get to this weird part in the early 80s where the labels don't want to pay the Jim Steinman rate now. So he's taking the songs elsewhere. That's why you see later on Meatloaf covering songs that either Jim recorded himself or other people did. So those 90s and 2000s records, he kind of makes up for those lost times, kind of taking the song back, if you will. There's two songs that really got away from him. And at one point in one particular week, and I believe it was in 1983, two Jim Steinman songs that he wrote for Meatloaf originally that he wasn't able to record because of, you know, label bullshit. These two songs were at both number one and number two in the Hot 100 for one week. Do you know what those songs are? I do not. Mm, yeah. The, arguably, maybe the two best power ballads, especially in pop music at that time, if not of all time. The number two song in the country that week was Dramatic Pause, Making Love Out of Nothing at All by Air Supply. And oh. when you think, you think about the sheer bombastic nature of that song, you're like, of course that's a Jim Steinman song. Can I guess the other one? I bet you can get it now. What was number one? The total eclipse of the heart. Boom. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> At least I got yeah, one. So, so for like one week, Jim Steinman like ruled the pop world, like kind of once again. So can you imagine? I mean, like, I was even thinking like when I hear about songs that get away from other people, like, oh man, they could have had a big hit with that. Like, like Billy Idol and Don't You Forget About Me and Bowie and all the young dudes, stuff like that. But I guess maybe in the grand scheme of things, those songs were supposed to go somewhere else. Because was Meatloaf going to have a hit with those songs? At least number one, number two songs in 1983? Interesting question. At that time, you know, I know he was struggling with his solo career after Bad Out of Hell. Yeah, just because it's it's a cyclical thing. Like, he just wasn't the cool thing at that point. I think back to the Behind the Music episode as, you know, kind of, you know, typical as I guess that could be because it was out there so much. But, you know, I think of the Behind the Music episode where it's just like, as soon as, like, Bad Out of Hell was done, they, they switch over to... And then, you know, then everything starts to go wrong, you know? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that one out there. And also, I like showing off trivia, so I'm a big trivia (laughs) guy. Of course, if you guys don't have bad hell, that's kind of like law. It's like the Frampton Comes Alive, Packets of Tide thing. You know, it's like every household had it at one point. And you should probably continue the tradition because it is quality stuff. So there you go. That's what I got to say about it. The first thing that did come to mind was, yeah, I should have bought that on vinyl. Cause I, I have the CD, I have the remastered CD, but oh yeah, yeah I never, I never picked it up on vinyl. I know I've seen it a few times in the used bins and the copies were usually not in the best shape. So I would bypass yeah. them. You're a rock and roll fan. That, that album is, is rule and law to own. If you don't even, if, even if you're not a huge fan of meatloaf, I, I, yeah. I can't say I'm a huge fan of meatloaf. That's the only album I own. It's the only album I honestly know. Cool. So. Yeah, and I'm not even like a big Rocky Horror guy, but obviously he contributed to that too. But um, right. I will admit, full disclosure, you know, I know it's kind of a sin in the uh, 
the vinyl world to do, especially in the uh, more snobby communities. But I did give in and buy the uh, Target edition, the bad hell. I was so thinking that of ordering be- that too. Yeah, yeah, the red vinyl one. Yeah, good luck finding it today. Yeah, but, forget uh, it. But yeah, so I guess I'm kind of glad I did now. They're never going to take bad hell out of print. That's just one of those things you just yeah. don't do. Right. So it's always going to be there. Your, your vinyl copy will happen. If anything, yeah. they're probably going to make something even better now. I know, but now like, I now I feel like well now I'm buying it after he dies. You know, you get that feeling. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm gonna get around to getting a copy someday. So we'll close this segment just saying rest in peace, meatloaf, yeah. and we'll try to move on now to some more positive things. Even though, as we've discussed elsewhere outside of this, these Black Friday record store day releases. You know, in previous episodes, I was probably much more positive, but. With this batch, I think it's it's going to get into that area of a little bit of negativity. So even though I'm well, saying we got to move on to some positive things here in 2022, you know, there's there's some things we have to talk about here with these Black Friday Record Store Day releases. I mean, the overall story here is it's the cliche, you know, like less is more. <laughs> Maybe if there were less Record Store Days a year. Yeah, I'm starting then, to I'm starting to idols, get on yeah. board with that, too. Like, you know, I think at this point it you know with things that are happening with the pressing plants and i know this isn't going to happen this is all just us talking you know in our own little box here but i think if they just went back to one record store day a year i don't think we would hurt from from that at all no people say it a lot especially on record store day but every day should be record store day record store day and i'm not, i know i'm going to come off like some sort of elitist or snob but i really don't mean to because i like to be all encompassing but the original idea of the record store day, especially the titles themselves, are meant to be like for the absolute diehard fans. And that doesn't matter if you're a big fan of Can or Lady Gaga. There's going to be something limited for you, and that's what it should be. You should put out something that has limited appeal for your hardcore fan base. And that means by having that variety of artists, we'll get them all into the record store that day. And that establishes a customer base for the record store. That's what it was. I mean, I'm not saying anything that people don't already know, but it's gotten so far away from that idea. Like, of course, yes, there are people putting out limited pressings of things still in special titles that they would never put out on any normal circumstance. You know, limited seven inches, limited picture discs and all that jazz. But I don't need regular releases that sold a lot of copies just on some special color. It doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be on those kind of days. Just have those out on the reg, you know, like for, and I'll, I'll just pick a random title here, like Flesh and Blood by Poison. There, That's there's a good one that you picked. <laughs> yeah, there's obviously a decent, de- we're not going to get into the sound quality just yet. Uh, there's obviously a decent demand of that on vinyl. I mean, the album did sell probably like three to five million copies, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Just giving myself a big umbrella there. <laughs> but uh, I think you you're know, correct. Yeah, but like it, it, there is a demand there and there is a fan base for that. So it should just be a regular release. If you're going to put out a special Poison release for Record Store Day, put out the Unplugged show if you can get the rights. Put out Crack a Smile, something that I want as a hardcore fan. Put out their Monsters of Rock set from 1990, something. The studio it, track from Swallow This Live on like a 12-inch. Yeah, yeah. Well, Seven-inch, whatever. Ten, 10 inch, however, however. Those are the things that you put out on Record Store Day. It, that, that, that's what I think. But like, I just putting out some sort of album like that—that that just kind of puts forward the fact that it's—it's it's not what it used to be. Yes. You know? 
I wholeheartedly agree. But when was Black Friday Record Store Day instituted? I don't, I don't recall, well, but... That was a, quite a few years after the fact, because it originally was just that spring date, like April yeah. or May or something like that. And honestly, you know, no holiday, whatever you want to call it, isn't created really without the whole premise of money being spent. You know, the, the gift cards and, you know, greeting card holidays. Mm-hmm. It's very smart that they would schedule a day like this around the time that people are probably getting their tax refunds. So good job, guys. Uh, it doesn't hurt. So that's where you should keep it in that spring day. Black Friday, the, the foot traffic's already there. It's, you have, and it, I've seen it firsthand with retailers, obviously, you know, shout out to Chris at Good Records. I've helped them out with a good oh, amount definitely. of the store day uh, releases. And it makes no sense because the day after Christmas, it's like people shopping for kids or whatever and, you know, or whatever, you know, it's like you need to make sure you have in stock the stuff that sells year round or is hot that year or however you want to do it. But like adding the record store day title element and that whole thing on top of it is freaking murder. And I'm, yeah. I'm not even like the guy, but even being like the guy that helps the guy, it's, it's horrible. It's like, yeah. it's horrible on these vendors, man, because they got to adhere to literally two different sides of the fence. That's hard enough to keep one complete customer base satisfied. Now you've got two completely different types of customer bases. So talking about it, not as a fan, but as more of like someone that works for a record store. Behind the scenes stuff, the things that actually go on, you know, that that make record store day, what it is. It's brutal because like at one point it's like, okay, yeah, I'm getting this seven inch. Also, yeah, I need to have a hundred copies of roofers in. Like I, I can't imagine it. I would hate that so much. You know, and there, I've seen some, uh, I won't name names, but I've seen some local record shops around my area. They're just like, they either out and out will say just in public to the customers, I hate record store day. And these are like managers of record stores. Some yeah. of them pretty much have dwindled down any kind of participation they have in it. And that's some that's of the stores somebody, here too. They've, they've stopped participating. Generation like, Records stopped for a little while, as you recall. For a day that was supposed to be just strictly for them, it's gotten so uh, diluted that they don't even want to participate in it. That, that says a lot for me. And obviously the titles kind of speak to themselves. There's always going to be good stuff in any of these drops. I'm not going to front. Sure. Like there are things I'm like, Ooh, want to get that. And so as long as that happens, yeah, I'm on board. But and in a sense, like maybe not having as much to buy definitely doesn't hurt the pocketbook, but yeah, it's just, it needs to be one day and we need to have hardcore fan base focused titles. I mean, it's so simple. I don't understand why they're not doing it. You know. Well, in in my opinion, I think it's just like so many things we've seen before. It's you know, with, with greed, when yeah. something becomes really cool to people and something that's becomes something that people really enjoy, you know, what inevitably happens? Yeah. The majors have to come in and they have to saturate the market with more of this, make as much as they can doesn't matter if the product it, itself is of any good quality yeah. then we as the buyers start to get you know some burnout from it and then yeah. and, what? and then we're, the, we're, we're, the, where we are right vultures. now you got the ebay vultures on top of it yes and then you got the baseball card people as i call them the people that just buy them to buy them and they never even listen to them or open yeah them up or... that's ridiculous so you, got the, you got those two factors of starriness that goes in with it so that's another reason why people get disenchanted because unless you can absolutely 100% trust your local record store vendor, how do you know that they're not cutting side deals with eBay vultures and all that stuff and holding stuff back? And I've had and, some personal experience with one of the shops that does not 
participate in Record Store Day anymore because I, you know, felt like there was some shenanigans going on. I really, you know, don't want to have this episode be sort of a downer, but mm-hmm. it sort of yeah. feels like it sort of feels like it is. But, you know, we got to be real here, too. We're, we're, we're fans of the format. We obviously love the music. Yeah. We can't sit here and ignore, you know, some of the things that are going on. And I, I, I think some of the other vinyl fans that are listening and collectors, I think they share in, in some of our uh, annoyances here, I would think. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, without any further ado, I guess we should go into the records and we'll, we'll, we'll try to paint the positives as much as possible, but we are going to be talking about some negatives. It's just, uh, it's just the way it is. So Let's get to the music. Yeah, yeah, but let, let's do that. We're going to get to some music soon. We're going to get to the first release on my list of picks. So here's my first pick out of eight, and it is the Ghost of Mars soundtrack. And this one was recommended to me by Joey Haney, and he can tell you exactly why right now. Uh, recommended, or you could say I pressure bullied you into buying it because <laughs> like, okay, so I'm a big, okay, yeah, this is a John Carpenter soundtrack to a John Carpenter movie officially. Let's get that out of the way. Big John Carpenter nerd, which is weird that I didn't buy this. And I'm trying to think of why I didn't now. Now I'm kind of like, why didn't I buy this? But here's the thing is that John Carpenter barely, I mean, he's not known for collaborating. He does it now with his son, Cody, which is really cool. Any of those last two Halloween movies have been scored by John and Cody, which is really cool. I like that they're doing that now. And, you know, he had a few collaborators over the years, but it's mostly known as like it's a John Carpenter show if it's his film. And so this is an interesting thing in his entire overall filmography and soundtrack discography because he does all of his scores and that's that's what makes that guy extra cool and he does good score but this time he brought in a ton of guest stars or just really good players from you know walks of life mostly from the hard rock community with the with the one odd and in there so you got pretty much all of anthrax on here if not all of them if i'm not mistaken just going in and basically just cutting instrumentals yeah it's anthrax without john bush yeah exactly yeah and I believe this is still when Paul Crook was in the Yeah, game. Paul Crook, he, yeah. Paul Crook is on the song that we're going to feature. Yeah, who also played lead guitar for Meatloaf for a long time. Was, was oh, a there we go, a little tie-in. Two, two awesome. big tie-ins to Anthrax with Meatloaf, and that's one of the two. So, yeah, and so Anthrax, Paul Crook, uh, Steve Vai, Buckethead, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And Elliot Easton, who's known as the left-handed guitar player from the Cars. Right. So did, I, did I leave anybody out? Well, we have it on the hype sticker right here. So oh, you, you yeah. named you named pretty much everybody, but there's also Robin Fink. Ah, from Nine Inch Nails, basically. Yeah. And that's well, yeah, that's the only one that I'm seeing here on the hype sticker okay. that you didn't mention. Yeah, okay. I know that Robin ba- made his name, you know, being a part of Nine Inch Nails. I don't know uh, what he's done outside of that. Maybe some production work or something like that. But yeah, I'm kind of looking at this now. I'm kind of like, man, man, I get this. Like I said, I love John Carpenter. I even love John Carpenter's originals, uh, quote unquote, like stuff that's not intended for soundtracks. If anybody out there comes across his solo work, and there's a lot of it out there right now, uh, check it out. If you're a fan of, especially of like his style of music, you will not be disappointed. But Pete, I know you don't buy a lot of soundtracks. Uh, so what did you think of this as, uh, as a soundtrack and also as a basically a collectible anthrax piece? I really enjoyed this soundtrack. And, you know, just for 
people listening too. I've been working on my own instrumental stuff for the last couple of years. So I, I really appreciate this soundtrack because it is basically entirely instrumental. I don't think there's any voices yeah. whatsoever. I don't think there's any movie sample voices. I think it's all 100% instrumental. So I, I've listened to this uh, under a handful of times already since purchasing it. And I, I really dig it. And I definitely would be interested to hear more of his scores from previous movies, as some people have mentioned to me when I posted this, that I should check out his other stuff. Yeah, and there's the obvious stuff like Halloween, the Escape from New York, uh, stuff like that. But here's the thing. As I would say, as it concerns this film specifically, because I have never seen Ghost of Mars all the way through, because I think I turned it off halfway through, because I, I hated it that much. Yeah, I've never seen it either. Upon my initial view. The cast is interesting, for sure. I mean, Ice Cube's in it, I think. Yeah. Isn't Jason Statham in it? I, <laughs> so anyway. I think so. But, I'm looking at the cover and... Yeah, yeah, like trying to get in there. Anyway, but yeah, it's it's. I remember thinking this is not good, and like I said, I tried to watch it once, like over twenty years ago. So maybe I'm wrong, but even if the movie's bad, you can always count on the music being interesting, and that's the cool thing about Carpenter. You don't even have to be a fan of any of these movies. In, in some instances, it probably doesn't hurt. Like Halloween is very specific, and so definitive of the movie. You can't have that score without the film. Any, anything else is kind of just works on its own, I think, as a standalone you know, piece of music. So you don't have to be a fan of score. Obviously, it helps. Right. And you should definitely be okay with instrumental work. Yeah. But as far as like mood pieces, man, almost nobody has ever done it better uh, than John. So uh, that's another reason I would recommend it. And like I said, I just thought you should own it, honestly, because you are more i will say you are more of an anthrax fan than i am in the sense that you own fistful of metal on vinyl you own stomp 442 on vinyl these are albums that i do not enjoy uh so <laughs> i don't have those on vinyl but you do so i'm like you well you got to have ghost of mars that's basically the you know that's what i was thinking when i initially mentioned it to you yeah and when you did mention it to me i i was completely unaware that they had even worked on this uh it just flew over my radar never heard about it so I, I thank you again for recommending it to me yeah and, and i've had the cd since it's been out so that's oh, obviously okay. i i bought it when it first came out on cd i still have the cd so that was a little bit maybe of the why i didn't buy on vinyl thing you know oh. some of it was yeah. money but i mean i guess that was one of the factors but yeah i just like well one of us needs to have this so right and i figured oh well you know if, if you ever uh Let's do like any kind of trade skis and maybe we can pull this off at some point. But that all being said, uh, I'm glad that some one of us got it because uh, it, it is a really cool piece of music. And just yeah. like it's, it's a one time only thing. I mean, the, these things are never going to happen again. Like, This is one of the vinyl pieces that was actually very well done. I don't have any complaints about how this one played. So the overall quality on this one from how it looks to how it plays I definitely would give this a, a positive rating uh, overall. And uh, yeah. as you see here, it's pressed on Red Planet colored vinyl. And I just want to highlight some other details. And that is red translucent vinyl with black smoke. Uh, they, they call it Red Planet vinyl. And it's red translucent vinyl with black smoke limited to 2,200 copies. So, and definitely the only record that will ever exist with Ice Cube on the cover that does not have Ice Cube rapping on it. So, there's, <laughs> yeah. a, there's a fun how do you do right there. So, with that, I think we'll go to our first music break, and we're just going to play one song here. 
we're going to do a little twofer in the next segment with the next release we're going to talk about. Let's go into the music. We've had a lot of talking for this introduction between Meatloaf passing and talking about our little things in terms of Record Store Day and now talking about this release. So let's get to some music and then we'll come back and we'll discuss my next pick. So the track I've chosen from the Ghost of Mars soundtrack is the track that ends side A. And I think most listeners will agree that it lives up to the title. And the song is called Kick-Ass. Thank you. 
All right, we are back, and that was Kick-Ass from the Ghost of Mars soundtrack. And comprising the band that you just heard there was Anthrax, and that is Scott Ian, Charlie Benante, Frank Bello, and Paul Crook, along with guitarist Buckethead. I guessed, uh, without even looking it up, I was like, that has to be Buckethead, because there's a lot of people that think that Buckethead and Steve Vai don't sound very different from each other, but there's a clear style uh, for both guys, I think. So, And Buckethead's also done a lot of score over the years, so if you're a fan, go look that up. But yeah, this song, I like Kick-Ass. It's one of the highlights of the soundtrack for me, and definitely easily could have been an Anthrax track. Oh, it. for sure. I'm fully developed with vocals. It sounds so comfortable between the two amazing records, Volume 8 and We've Come For You All. So that would have been a really cool thing to have. But I'm going to focus on the positive and not the what if on that. But that would have been <laughs> kind of cool. Maybe maybe, maybe they could still do it. if they want. I mean, they could always just give the songwriting credit on there if anybody else has it on there and still do that. It'd be kind of cool, actually. I mean, we are expecting a new Anthrax record this year in 2022. So right. maybe at least a B-side. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it would have made for a good Anthrax song with full arrangements and vocals for sure. Yeah. I think that's why it's one of the one of the first songs when I was listening to it for the first time. That's like the one of the first ones that was immediately in my head. Like, I got to play this one on the show. Yeah. So Good choice, sir. Thank you. So do you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, this is going to be a little bittersweet for me because... Okay. I missed out on this, and I really wanted to buy it. So, Like I said, once again, I'm glad at least one of us got it. Okay. All right, so let's move ahead and talk about the next one. So next up here, as you see, we have a 12-inch from Weird Al Yankovic, an Osaka pop star. A split 12-inch with their cover of the Ramones, Beat on the Brat. Yeah, and I guess it's noteworthy to say that uh, I'm excited. Hopefully it will happen that Weird Al is doing uh, his theater tour this year. And I am really excited to go see it because I, I've been an Al fan since in 3D, you know, 1984, I believe, 1983. And never fell off. Always have loved Weird Al. And he's, he's obviously a great human on top of everything. But I was so bummed that I missed out on the last theater tour. And he's actually doing it again. And on the theater tours, he only plays originals no parodies but he will do covers as in the case of something like this this is right. how this started is he would he did be on the brat i guess at one of the shows and uh the opportunity came for him to do that dr demento collection that this comes from right. which is amazing by the way if you those of you out there you can even you know even if you're just spotify people you can stream the dr demento punk uh compilation it works like a radio show it even has bumpers with Dr. Demento, like introducing the songs, which he never did on our, the ones that we grew up on. Oh. And it's got killer artists on there. I mean, people that definitely should be on there, like Al, of course, the Vandals are on there. I got to spoil this because this sells it. Brack doing institutionalized. How can you go wrong with that? Like, it is one of the most fun collections I've heard in at least a decade. So if you go on a road trip, pull that one up and uh, it'll get you through a nice uh, car ride. There. So there you go. There's a little commercial for that, which makes me even further bummed that I missed out on this. But I'm going to cross my fingers for the whole thing at some point. This is a cool comp, by the way. It's, I, I like the choices of songs on here to fill it out. Yeah, let's talk about that. So the A-side, obviously, is Weird Al, 
and it starts off with the studio version of Beat on the Brat. The studio track is taken from Dr. Demento's Demented Punk. There is also some live tracks. There's a couple of live tracks on Weird Al's side. Again, his version of Beat on the Brat live and his version of I Want to Be Sedated live, which has the uh, humorous single string guitar solo. (laughs) (laughs) As he's so proud (laughs) to know how to perform. Yeah, (laughs) love it. And by the way, I don't want to let this go before I forget about this. Uh, Can we just say how infinitely better his cover of Beat on the Brat is? Then you too. <laughs> from We're a Happy Family. That is one of the best. With a baseball bat, oh yeah. I mean, to be fair, as exciting as they are, it's as inspired as they are. But man, it's one of the best tribute albums of all time, and you got that turd right in there. And not that Manson's cover is any picnic either. But man, if I could delete that. Not a huge fan of um, Rob Zombie's Blitzkrieg Bop either. Got to be honest. It's it's fine. I mean, it's like the fourth worst song on there as far as tributes go. Like, but yeah, you two. Honestly, that Manson version blows. I'll pick on him because he deserves it. Not jazzed about Red Hot Chili Peppers anything really. Like, especially in this era. Mm. Uh, but yeah, love Al doing beat on the brat. I, I want more Al Ramones covers at this point. There's a handful of other songs. I mean, let's be honest. About half the catalog might even lend itself to Al, especially the early songs that are just. So absurd lyrically, it just fits. But yeah, I would love that. I mean, why not? I'm so not surprised that you said that this version was better than U2's because it was the oh. same thing I was thinking when I first heard it. Yeah, talk about you, right? <laughs> never, never, I will never miss an opportunity to trash U2. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. So <laughs> let's go to uh, the B side and Osaka Pop Star. Full disclosure, as I like to borrow from you, mm-hmm. I had never heard of Osaka pop star before this release. So I didn't know what he sounded like, had no clue. So this was the first that I was ever hearing of him in particular. I like his version of Beat on the Brat, the studio version. Very, very good, very cool version. And there's also his live version of it. But the difference is who's in his live lineup on these particular tracks, Beat on the Brat, Blitzkrieg Bop, and the track we're gonna feature the KKK took my baby away. So do you know some of the personnel that is backing him up on that track, Joey? Yeah, it's some of the Black Flag guys, right? I will uh, tell you. I will tell you. Yeah. Yeah. It is Cadena, Jerry Only, and you know the third one? Marky Ramon Ooh, from the Ramones. Here is Blitz Craig Bop by the Ramones. <laughs> it always goes back to our Marky... Can you, can you do a Joey talking about his wig on Howard Stern right now? <laughs> used to, oh, that was, that was some uncomfortable radio. I can't, right do, I can't do a good Joey. I, yeah. I'm like trying to muster one up from the, uh, the, yeah. the I, just, I just remember like the, you wear a wig. <laughs> you know, Marky, Marky and Joey going back for, you wear a wig, you wear extensions. Yeah. But now like Johnny Rotten's taking all of his thunder though because uh, – that clip of him trashing Marky on that panel, that's, that's uncomfortable too. So, Anyway, we like picking on Marky, but we love Marky. You know, I had to keep the continuity going here. You know, we've yeah. had a, a few opportunities where we've had our little tribute to Marky. Marky. It's all done. It's all done in love. We, we love the Ramones. We love Marky Ramones. So. And by the way, just warning, there is at least one more bad impression coming from your truly 
before the show is over. So get ready. We love our bad impressions, so we hope you love them too. And uh, let's go back to the record. So I've mentioned the tracks that we're going to feature. Obviously, we're going to feature Weird Al's studio version of Beat on the Brat, taken from Dr. Demento's Demented Punk, and also decided to feature one of the live tracks from Osaka Pop Star, and that is going to be The KKK Took My Baby Away. So let's go to our next music break and play those two tracks right now. So here is Weird Al Yankovic with his version of the Ramones, Beat on the Brat, followed by Osaka Pop Star with Des Cadena, Jerry Only, and Marky Ramone, and their take on the KKK took my baby away. One more Ramon song, what do you think? Well, we just happen to have one more prepared for you. This next Ramon song really is a love song. You might not know it by the title. This is called The KKK Took My Baby Away. She went with 
All right, we are back. And once again, that was Weird Al Yankovic with his version of Beat on the Brat by the Ramones, followed by Osaka Pop Star with Des Cadena, Jerry Only, and Marky Ramone, and their take on the Ramones, The KKK Took My Baby Away. And this particular release, it's a 45 RPM 12-inch, and it is limited to 2,500 copies. So once again, Weird Al Yankovic, Osaka Pop Star, Beat on the Brat 12-inch, and we can move on from here. But first, Joey has something to say. Real quick, two bonus points on this release. One, of course, is the brilliant, inspired Garbage Pail Kid-esque cover. Yes. Uh, which was uh, a part of the three-inch release that they did on a previous record store day. They used the same artwork. So, uh, oh, right. Okay. Not a buy the three inches, but I, I, I definitely that. appreciated it. it. It actually looked more like a Garbage Pail Kid card, of course, in the three-inch form, in a sense. But also, like, something that doesn't happen a lot on Al records. And I, I, like I said, I love Al. I've, I have every record. Uh, over the years, he's definitely dialed down the accordion in the mix. So it, even though it's not really high up in the mix on this particular track, it's still nice to hear. Obviously, the accordion still takes place during the pop medleys that he does on every record. But it's not really prominent in any of the other songs, really. So the whole fun novelty of Al originally was kind of having the accordion out there. Not on every song, but, you know, getting it in there where you could. Mm-hmm. So it's just nice to hear him play the chords along with the band on this particular version. Like I said, even though it's not high in the mix, I always appreciate hearing the accordion and doing it out there. So, yeah. I want to give a shout out to my old friend Tommy. He bought me Weird Al's Greatest Hits on vinyl when I turned 12, and I still have I, it in my collection. It's still in great condition. That's awesome. I didn't buy that as a kid because I had all those records. So. <laughs> I think I think that was also I, I probably did ask for it, but my mom was like, You already have all these songs. I've bought you every weird out record. So she didn't understand the whole what if I can't make a choice? Like that's what these things are invented for. Right. At least <laughs> half the reason. Okay, anyway, moving on. Okay. Let's move on. So the next album on my list is Mr. Big with their second album lean into it i just wanted to get into just a little bit of how i first heard of mr big and i want to see if it's possible that maybe you were tuning in at the same point so i know you and i both watched the original howard stern show on well in my case channel nine here in new york do you recall for a very brief moment in time there was a heavy metal themed show that would be on I think in place of Howard's show when it wasn't airing or was on after Howard. And it was usually on the same time when Headbangers Ball was on. And you couldn't really watch them both at the same time. You had to pick one or the other. So do you recall this? Uh, No, that must have been a local thing. Or maybe if it was syndicated, I didn't get it in my town for sure. I can guarantee you that that show never happened where I lived or I would have known about it. Okay, That was like the peak of my watching TV on Saturday night. Okay. Well, you consider the time this was. The first Mr. Big album, I believe, came out in 1989, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah about, yeah. Okay. yeah so, you know, we know how, how big heavy metal was in the mainstream at that point. So there, yeah. there were a lot of these shows, you know, popping up. They would be like night and day. It would come and go. They, they wouldn't yeah. last very long, but they would, they, would, they would appear and then they would be gone. Anyway, yeah. there was a show. I, I really wish I could remember the name of the show. I remember the host for some reason. It was like, and it was like the typical, like, we got to get a host that acts like a heavy metal guy, you know, like, Hey dudes, this is Eric Paladino. 
<laughs> oh, please tell me that's his name. It was. Oh, nice. And I remember that's because, good. like, the Verderami, one of the Verderami brothers, I think it was Frank, you'd be like, look at this fucking guy. Hey, dudes, I'm Eric Palladino. He, I'm assuming he sound, he's definitely sounds like it, but he probably also looked like one of the guys that Kelly Bundy would date on screen. <laughs> they had like a typical heavy metal host, if you want to sure. call it. Yeah. So this particular show, I think it was like a half hour long. It might have been a half hour to an hour. And they had this segment with Mr. Big talking about their, their first record. And they were on the set for the filming of the video for Addicted to That Rush. Huh. So this is the very first time I heard of Mr. Big, seen anything about Mr. Big. Then I probably saw that video on Headbangers Ball when it debuted sometime after. So I was just curious to see if maybe you had seen that because both of us watched the Howard show back then. And this was something that just kind of came and went on, on the channel here, Channel 9 here in New York. So I was just yeah. curious. But No, and- yeah. No, the first time I heard Mr. Big was on regular MTV. And I only knew of Billy Sheehan because of his work in David Lee Ross band. Right. So I immediately recognized him Same here. and everything. And I was like, oh, that's why he wasn't in the Just Like Paradise and stand-up videos. Right. He'd got a new band. So exactly. that's, how I, that's how I learned about these things. And you can't uh, fake the Billy Sheehan sound. Like, I mean, he's going to play note for note with the guitar plays. And uh, very prominent. I think that Rush is a cool performance video. It's kind of a perfect debut video for a band like that. Oh, so, sure. Great, was, great, great, catchy song. You know, it, it highlights everybody's talents in the band. Yeah. And I think, like, I almost felt like Mr. Big and Badlands were kind of one and the same as far as, like, this could appeal to almost the same person because it almost seemed like these weren't really, like, household names, but they were names that could really, really play. So I thought that they were kind of... They, sh- they were marketed for both kinds of people. I think Mr. Big, I, I, I think it came out after Badlands. I always thought that they kind of stole their thunder quite a bit just because they were... Sort of, right. Like, kind of, kind of, you know, both supergroups, if you, you want to call them, right? Yeah, loose, loosely based supergroups. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like I said, they could all play really well. Mr. Big probably has just slightly more credibility, especially like in the magazine circles and stuff like that at the time. Sure. Uh, and, you know, I mean, but they're, they're all great at what they do. And I really, I like that first Mr. Big album. So getting back, leaning into, leaning into it, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not the biggest fan of this record, and it's not because of To Be With You. I think To Be With You is actually a good song, even though obviously like a lot of people, I'd probably never need to hear it again. But, uh, you know, it, it deserved to be a number one single. And, you know, it's that thing where it made them technically a one-hit wonder, yeah. you know, in the States and in the top 40. But uh, as uh, as Doug Figer would say very eloquently, it's an albatross that'll buy you a boat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, that being said, I like half of this record pretty well, but I can totally understand that there is and should be a demand for this on vinyl. So once again, I don't think this should be a record store day title. I think you should be able to go buy this at any store right now if you wanted to. I totally agree. And we should point out that this was on a prior record store day list. I think it was the one prior to Black Friday, the yeah. one of the record store day drops. And then Billy Sheehan had announced that there is going to be a 30th anniversary pressing. I, I thought, honestly, at that point, I thought it was going to be outside of record store day. I thought it'd be a little more widespread. 5,000 yeah. copies is obviously a good amount of copies yeah. for a record that probably sold uh 
a million plus. I, I think it could have. Yeah, at least it might more. even broken in the. I, I think because of the single, it broke at least two, two to three. Yeah. Uh, that that crossover definitely made it a multi-platinum record. I have to have a little bit of negativity here. Pressing. Oh, is, that only, is that only one record? Is that only one record slab? Ooh. Oh yeah, this is only yeah. Uh, yes, we should point out this is a single LP, and Ooh. so you're, you're cramming a lot of music onto two sides. And my issue isn't so much with the audio quality. When you listen to the song that I've chosen, it's going to sound pretty good. I would say that anyone listening to it is going to say, "Oh, this sounds great." Yeah, the problem I've is, I've heard the transfer of this track, and it does sound good. Okay, so then you know exactly what I mean. The problem yeah, yeah. is, is that. The audio output is still very, very low, so it's very quiet. Yeah. So I, I had to jack up the volume on the wave file after transferring this. Like it, it, if I could illustrate <laughs> just with my fingers, it, the wave file was probably like this. <laughs> it's really, really wow. tiny. So you know, I had to amplify it just so it can compete with the rest of the tracks that we're we're playing on the show today. This wow. is probably one of two albums in my picks that I had to do this with, but the other one was just far worse in terms of overall audio quality. The audio quality on this pressing is actually very good outside of the fact that it's, it's very quiet. So then, you know, when songs end, you're going to hear some crackling here and there. No, yeah. Not, not too terrible, but you know, you have to jack up your volume. So naturally you're going to get some more surface noise. That's really my only complaint about this otherwise you, you look at it it's a great looking red vinyl solid 180 gram vinyl as it says on the hype label but i wish it was a little bit louder but having said that i understand why it's it's quiet it's because it's on one lp so yeah could have been on two lps but i mean this was pretty expensive as a single lp to begin with if this was two lps it probably would have been 49.99 yeah and in reality you know they could put it out for the same price and not lose their ass on it too much that's that's definitely a misnomer that labels like to do to just double charge right but uh, by but if it had been two lps they definitely would have charged you for what they think two lps are worth nowadays so they sure. would be cutting, they'd be massively cutting into the fan base that already wanted to buy this and right. some of them would balk on it some of them would. for uh, sure but, but i guess i my question would be like since this is an album from 1991 and the majors had given up on vinyl at this point do you think these are digital files just transferred onto a vinyl record? I, I have my you know suspicions that they probably did a digital transfer on this one because it seems to be a thing that's done very often these days. My copy is number 418 of 5,000. So on the back of the album cover, there's a square little foil sticker, like a hologram, and you have to kind of angle it so you could see which, uh, which number you have. Gotcha. That's kind of neat. But, um... Yeah. The last things I wanted to mention, that that is a 30th anniversary reissue, and the original release date on that was March 16th, 1991. So we hit that 30th anniversary almost a year ago. Yeah, and so, I think it was supposed to come out in that spring drop, so that would have made more sense. Uh, right, it was. Right, I think it was one of the summer drops, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm assuming this will be back in press, because they did that with Heartbreak Station, too, and stuff like that. I mean, they'll be back and probably on black. Uh, but once again, I feel like if they press so it too. again... It might wind up being another limited thing, and I just I don't understand that. Especially like, yeah, I know it's not a hip and cool album anymore, but I mean, was it ever really? And also, 
you know, it has a number one single on it. Like that should yeah. almost be like law that it should be readily available. And, so. and, uh, and I'll be honest, you know, I never have to really hear that song again, but I'll be honest yeah. with you, even back then, over 30 years ago, I wasn't like a huge fan, even though at that time, you know, I wasn't completely not listening to bands like that, obviously, because yeah. I bought the, I bought the, I bought the album on cassette. Yeah. I had grown tired of some, you know, power ballads and you know when you buy a record and you just go god they're shooting for this again you know like when's when is it enough i did start to get a little weary of with when certain bands would just try to go to that well again kiss and you know like every time i look at you in 1992 it was kind of like what are you doing guys like this is the wrong year right now for this so mr big kind of fell into that with to be with you a little bit with me because i was just like "Hmm, meh never got into the song I, I was actually shocked when it went to number one. Not as much as like when Extreme went to number one with more than words. Mm. This one was like, wow, really? You know, but yeah. I guess you know it was and, it was a sign of the times. But the, then the it was also a sign of the times because it was one of the last ones. I think it was, was it like the last of those power ballads, or if you call it a power ballad, that went to number one. Well, interestingly enough, a band that we're going to talk about later actually kind of has the credit for having the last big power ballad hit of that era. Oh, okay. So, they, yeah. They, well, they even, uh, I know that the leader even says, it's our fault. We're yeah. the last one. Okay. So, we'll, so we'll, we'll stop the conversation it. at that because I, I know exactly where we're going later with this. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically all I have to say about Mr. Big's Lean Into It, other than the fact of the song that I've chosen. So... Which was the first single, I believe, wasn't it? Like, To Be With You was like the second or third single. And I, I believe this might have been the launch single. Yes, this was the launch single. That, that is correct. So the song we're going to play when we get to our next music break is a song that I can't even believe wasn't a hit for them. I even joked around about this on my post of the record. And I said, I would have thought this would have been their first breakthrough hit. It ends up being To Be With You. So well, what the fuck do I know? <laughs> <laughs> well, two two years prior to the, or a year prior to this album, Nelson would have had a hit with this song, and I'm not saying that to disparage the song. I just think this song was a year too late for the charts, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. It's a yeah. very catchy song, and again, sign of the times. The lyrics, yeah, and obviously the lyrics give you the imagery of it being vintage pop, mm -hmm. but it works uh, in that sense. So yeah, it's it's probably the best overall song on the album too like there, there's a few good deep cuts on there but yeah this thing is uh, there should have been more justice for this song i completely agree with absolutely you. so in case you don't already know which song we're talking about the song we're going to play when we get to our next music break from mr biggs lean into it is the lead single and that is green tinted 60s mind so with that we can move on to the next record here and that one is king's x Please Come Home, Mr. Bulbous. Now, as you know, this one was supposed to be out on the last record store they drop. If not the last two, it got, it got delayed two times before we finally got it on Black Friday Record Store Day 2021. And as you see here, it's on Sun Yellow Wax, number 1,814 out of 2,500. And once again, from our friends and as Joey craned shop smart shop s vart <laughs> by the way i've got one eight eleven and i did that intentionally oh wow look at that i i have a lower number than you but i'm the one that mailed them so there you go <laughs> <laughs> who hand wrote these labels 
Like who writes like this? Like, yeah, what's with those ones? They yeah, look, those you know, now you, when you look at them really closely, they don't look like ones. <laughs> They're upside down V's or like the arrow yeah. keys that point up on the thing. So let's talk about them. the record itself. The one thing that I have to point out in terms of a negative is something I don't think we talked about with the last two, which were Manic Moonlight and Tapehead. But yeah. anyone who purchased these, they're warped. Was your copy warped? Uh, slightly, but it's not too harsh on the sound. It's, it's one of those kind of things that, like, if you really are paying attention, you might be able to hear it, but not too distracting. So I didn't really, right. I just figured I, I need to, I need to get a stabilizer and a new needle anyway. So I just kind of thought it was more on my end than theirs. But like when I really looked at it, I'm like, okay, it's going up a little bit. I see it. Well, you see, I do have a stabilizer here and yeah, I, I do it use it uh, on the records. And as I was telling you off this call a week ago, when I was putting together the files, I wanted to keep us consistent with the first two records that we covered, Tapehead and Manic Moonlight, where we played the opening tracks. This one, I really couldn't do it because the fact that it's warped, you can actually hear the stylus bouncing a little bit. Oh, wow. Because it, it's a lip warp, right? Right at the beginning here. Yeah. So it's not terrible, but you can hear it more when you're listening to it in earbuds or in headphones. Not, not as much maybe through the stereo. Yeah. So that's that's my small complaint is that the copies are warped. Now the reason I think they're warped is because they're not putting the record inside of the the pocket. They're actually putting it in the middle of the gatefold inside yeah. of the shrink wrap. Yeah. So and they're, now they're probably doing that to prevent split covers. I'm guessing. Yeah. But what I think th this is happening is it's causing the records to be warped because they're in the middle of the gatefold instead of yeah. more secure inside of the pocket. Yeah. I've seen a few other indie labels do that too, where, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll even have it. Nuclear like blast a, does that too. Yeah. And relapse does that. Right. And I've seen them do that with other ones, especially the ones that do have gatefolds. Most of their albums do. And that's kind of weird because especially for like, uh, just getting on the relapse here for a second, they have like a exposed sleeve, like any of the sleeves we would use once we open it up where you get to slide it out. They use like thick exposed sleeves. So, and they're outside the pocket. So if in travel, if those things get into any kind of extreme temperatures, they're going to suffer for it. Plus mm -hmm. like they, that label in particular has download codes. So someone could just walk into a store and steal the download code and walk away with that. So there's a lot of problems by doing that. I think I, I don't understand that practice. Yeah. Of uh, just having it's, an it, open sleeve version. But anyway, for this thing, putting it like that, you are exposing it to more extreme temperatures. That's right. Fact. I don't understand to. it because it fits nicely in the pocket. There was really no need for them to do that. So Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, it's laziness in their factories. Obviously, Maybe. it's these are probably all hand, you know, assembled. I, right. They I probably, yeah. I mean, they, they obviously they obviously hand numbered them so yeah. then i would think i don't know if they, they they have like a manual shrink wrap machine or if they just did all the covers and then they sent all the covers off uh yeah. to be to be shrink wrapped you know in with the records yeah possibly. who the hell knows though but really i mean it's a small complaint i think over time you know if you keep the records stacked the way the way i do in my bins you know maybe the the lip warp will kind of straighten itself out over time with you know the the temperature conditions in my house. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah, it, yeah. I've seen Hopefully. things like that happen with warped records where 
you'll have like a little lip warp and then, you know, you'll go to play it like a year or two later and it's, and it's a little more straightened out. Okay. So it is, it is known to happen. That's really my only, my only complaint about this particular pressing or any of these King's X pressings that have come out from SFART. The song I, I chose to play and was one that you agreed with me on is song number three. And that is She's Gone Away from side one. So let's go to our next music break and we'll play Mr. Big with Green Tinted 60s Mind from their second album, Lean Into It, the 30th anniversary edition on 180 gram red vinyl. And then we're going to follow that up with She's Gone Away from King's X, taken from Please Come Home, Mr. Bulbous on Sun Yellow Wax Vinyl. And let's play those tracks right now.
Right, we're back and once again that was mr big with green tinted 60s mind taken from the 30th anniversary 180 gram edition on red vinyl of their second album lean into it followed by king's x with she's gone away taken from please come home mr bulbous on sun yellow vinyl that's definitely a good track that represents that record uh, pretty well like fits the style it's I just played something off of Manic Moonlight on my show on Rock Strikes 10. And it's like, it, it does feel like more of a tie record. And that's not a bad thing. Right. Uh, it's so neat that they have two amazing lead singers in that band, even though Doug is the lead singer. But when, when Ty gets in there, he's so good. And there's a lot of people out there that have only heard one King's X song. And that's, it's love. It's love. And, and who sings and on the chorus? Ty. Fucking so, a lot of people think he's just the lead singer, I think. But, well, uh, Ty sings the verses, too. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, they they harmonize together on it, but like, right. so you don't really know until the chorus. That's like, oh, okay. But like, that's that was kind of one of my. I, I'd seen the over my head video, so that's when I kind of realized because I hadn't bought the records yet, and I was like, oh, they both sing. That's neat. You know, like, is that we didn't really have bands like that at that point. Right. You know, like I didn't grow up on Fleetwood Mac, so I didn't, you know, so Kiss was the closest thing I knew about, oh, they have two lead singers, especially as a Kiss band coming in from the 80s. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I know all the songs, does he? (laughs) And I know it's love. You know, it had that, it had that buzz clip status back in the day on MTV, but man, that song should have been a huge hit. Well, it, it was a, it was a top ten single. It didn't go number one, but it was getting there. I think it I think it got yeah. But was it like mainstream rock track charts? No, was, mainstream rock chart. It was top ten. It was just not not like the top ten, like America's top ten with Casey Kasem. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Um, did, <laughs> two did it, did it have a, two? Did it have a hot one hundred peak? Do you see it as you're no nothing, it? nothing really. Nothing. That's that's what I'm saying. Huge shame. Okay, Huge shame insane. that that wasn't a hit. That should have at least cracked the top 40 by that rationale. I, when you consider some songs that did crack the top 100 and that one 1990 didn't. was fucking deplorable. Look, go look up the Hot 100 album charts and the Hot 100 single charts. Deplorable 1990. Awful. I mean, 91's kind of no better. Like if you strictly stick to the pop charts. But man, it's love. I guess it was just too good for that year. Like... <laughs> Like it would have been like the turn the punch bowl, you know, because we were I, I remember because like I had to I did a lot of shared rides with my mom and sister that year and I just remember going, Man, pop music sucks now. And I grew up <laughs> loving pop music. And even yeah. at the ripe age of eleven in nineteen ninety, I knew things had taken a massive turn. And honestly now looking back in retrospect, it really started getting bad about eighty seven, eighty eight. It just dipped really bad, but ninety was horrible because nobody knew what was going on everybody trying to hit on the next thing yeah i mean there were some good pop songs that year i'll, I'll point out like groove is in the heart i still think that's a good song stuff like that but for every one of those there's like you know every other new kids on the block song and <laughs> halloway and you know stuff like that just the worst stuff i mean maybe not compared to maroon five nowadays that, we, that people have to put up with but that was the that was the beginning of the end. A lot, of, a lot of novelty hits around those, that time, right? Oh, I, I just, we we could go all day with with just like some of the bad garbage that we had to endure in the nineties. Yeah, but if you want to you want to hear about bad pop songs, then I recommend the Todd in the Shadows YouTube page. That's a great one for that. Anyway, let's let's get over back to our taste, right? Let's let's go back. Okay. Woo. So <laughs> two ponderous, effing ponderous. So we're going to go to pick number five out of eight for me. And that next one is. Hey, everybody, it's C.C. DeVille. I'd like to talk about this record. (laughs) I actually found an old Metal Edge article about the making of this album. This is really good timing for me. So C.C. had like a beard in the (laughs) studio, literally, not figuratively. And he was just like, I'm not shaving until I finish all my guitar parts. <laughs> CC DeVille, former resident of Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Hey, hey. I've probably talked about this on this show. I talked about this on my show for sure at Nauseam. Poison was my first concert. Big Poison kid. And I even said it then probably to myself. And I'm not going to lie. Like, I realized it opened up and say, ah, oh, was 
not as good as the first album. I think that first album is super fun, super cool. It's exactly the trash glam hair record that it should be. Even has some punk leanings in it. For sure. And all of that went away on Open Up and Say Ah. And I like some songs on there. I think it's uh, a strong it's, record though. It's decently strong. Cat Dragged In is still the best album they put out. And honestly, like I talked about Crack a Smile earlier. That thing is more in line with Vintage Poison than any of these other releases, honestly. Hmm. Uh, it's a fun record that should be on vinyl. Like I said, that should be a record store they release. This one, when it came out, I liked it, but it's the anticipation of it really carried it for me through its release. Man, I got sick of those videos. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were endless replays of Unskinny oh. Bop. Yeah, something to believe in. And something I, to believe in. Yeah. I go uh, to this to this day, to this moment, if, it, if it's on serious, I turn it off. If it's at the show, more often than not, I hope I have to go to the bathroom because I still go see him every time. Uh, my God, man, that song. I get it. It's, a, it's an important song. It's a deep song and all that shit. It was a number one single. Once yeah. again, we're talking about a legit number one single. Uh, but yeah, honestly, like, you know, Unskinny Bop, as dumb as it is, it belongs on a Poison record. And there's sure. actually some, this album does have good deep tracks. I mean, but yeah, there, there has to be some goofy, fun songs. That's, yeah, but, that's, that's who they were, you know, it, I, around I everything like, else that they did. Yeah, and you hear the, the, the infamous Cherry Pie song where Janie Lane had the whole album written and demoed and stuff, and they were like, we want you to write Love in an Elevator or something like that, and he goes and writes Cherry Pie. I feel like Unskinny Bob is a last-minute song. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it, you know, it is, isn't it? It has, There's no way it's not. Like, you listen to that whole record, it is there. We're going completely serious, which is something they went all in for on Native Tongue. But oh, this yeah, one yeah. was an absolute departure. And it does stick out like a sore thumb. It does stick out like a sore mm -hmm. thumb in the context of the record, for sure. Massively. Look, I mean, even when you look what it's sandwiched between. I do like a lot of songs on here. That being said, Life Goes On, I think, is a super underrated power ballad. And CeCe's best solo of all time hands down is on that song it's it's a ridiculous over-the-top solo but i love it like that that solo is so good even the kids out there doing uh youtube guitar solo videos have done this song quite a bit oh wow um, i like hell or high water uh yeah it's a great song i can't stand poor boy blues because it is the absolute joke of like it's the ultimate cultural misappropriation of hair guys doing the blues mm -hmm. i mean it's so freaking bad i don't know if he meant it to be tongue-in-cheek but i don't think he did but it's comical. It's comically bad. And that's the closer. It felt um, like at this time, bands like Poison and, you know, Cinderella, they, they, were, they were doing that. They were doing those type of songs. It's like, it almost like it had to be on these records and to, uh, you know, degrees of success in terms of how well the songs turned out. But I, I, I yeah. totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And there's some sort of, and I might just be giving him a pass, but he, coming in a little bit early on this trend, I think Tom Kiefer... I give him a pass on that because he was in, you know, he's implementing elements of that so early, like as early as the first Cinderella album. Yes. And, and went pretty heavy on it on the second one too. I feel like there's a little bit more realism in him doing that than Brett Michaels doing it. And even Cece will tell you the same thing. I, like I said, I love to imitate and talk Cece. Yeah. I heard him on a radio show probably about 20 years ago, honestly, probably around the time the Power of the People was out. And he even just blatantly said on air, like, 
I wish Brett could get over this Southern rock blues mentality here. <laughs> like you want to talk dirty to me. I wrote that song. Like that's, that's a garage rock punk song, punk. but he's really got to get over this Southern rock thing, man. And man, I think he's dead on. Like it's fucking poison. Man. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and, and for those that are not watching on YouTube, we are talking about Poison's third album, Flesh and oh, Blood. And this yeah, is on. That. That's okay. And this is on a, a Coke bottle green vinyl. So I just, just wanted to get that out there. Yeah. It's been on screen for a while here for the YouTube viewers. So I'm going to switch off. Green. Yeah, yeah. And the perfect color, the Poison green, it got pretty close to that shade of green. Right. Not all the way there, but it's really good. Honestly, production wise, the record sounds great. Not a bad sounding album ever came out of, I think it's Little Mountain Studios, if I'm not mistaken. The, the Bruce, Bruce Fairburn Fairbairn produced. Bob Rock also coming out of that studio. It definitely kicked off, I think, with like, uh, yeah, the Loverboy albums, but also Slippery When Wet made it the destination studio. Mm, oh, for sure. Everybody from Motley to Metallica. And an underrated album from 91, Little Ain't Enough, was also recorded there by David Lee Roth. That's right. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Colt, I think, did an album there too. But yeah. Oh, Sonic Temple? I think so. Did they do Sonic Temple there? Recorded. Yeah. Bob Rock, I believe, did produce that. So it he would did. have to be. He did. Um, so I don't think he ever didn't record out of there, at least initially. What I'm getting at is that nothing bad sounding comes out of it. You may not maybe like the record per se, and I'm critical of Flesh and Blood, but it sounds great. Yes. And I wanted to mention when you, you know, you were talking about Unskinny Bop before. Mm-hmm. When I was listening to this record, when I, when I got it again, because I hadn't heard it in a while, I remember I'm listening to it and I'm listening to Unskinny Bop and I'm thinking Bruce Fairburn produced this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, around a year and a half before he was working on Aerosmith's Pump. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lot of similarities, obviously, in the production. But also, I think, what is it, the beats per minute? If you put Love in an Elevator next to Unskinny Bop, I think yep. they're pretty much even as far as like the beats per minute. It's like that same, like the, you listen to the choruses, loving an elevator, living up till I'm going down, unskinny pop. You know, it's like, they're kind of like on the same, they're oh, yeah. kind of like on the same line. You know what I mean? Does, does that I make any like sense? No, it does. You're, you're dead on. I feel like there's probably a mashup out there. there, there and that's, and that, that's, you know, what you were saying before where they might've been told, you know, we need a love in an elevator. This was probably, you know, we need, we need this, we need this to be Love in an Elevator, and they pretty much nailed their own version of Love in an Elevator with Unskinny Bop, and it was a huge hit. So, yeah. you know, what can you say? You know, sometimes the label is right when it comes to these decisions, even when the band doesn't agree, and even if it, you know, might ruin their career in, in some cases. And isn't it really weird? Did you ever get the CD remasters when it came out with the bonus tracks and stuff on it? Did you get any of those? No, no, I haven't. Okay. So some people still don't know this, but according to the bonus tracks, and you only put the stuff from the sessions on there if you don't release it, right? Mm-hmm. They, they demoed God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. Uh, they never put a really? vocal on it. But if you get the bonus track version of Flesh and Blood on CD, you can find an instrumental recording of Poison doing God Save the Queen. So the fact that they were even shooting for something like that on this kind of an album with this yeah. kind of style and approach, like also just does not make sense. I'm wondering maybe if it was commissioned for a movie, possibly, because mm. I'm thinking like Interesting. they did rock and roll all night for less than zero. Right. So maybe this is going to be another thing. But maybe this was going to be in Bill and Ted's bogus journey. I don't know. 
but it's it's a weird choice but there's a little uh some extra credit for you guys out there so yeah that's cool i didn't even know that but you know you're saying they they demoed a version of god save the queen it's it's almost kind of strikes me as odd in the same way that motley crew recorded anarchy in the uk which was kind of like why yeah. is Motley Crue recording Anarchy in the UK? Like it does, it it still doesn't make a lot of sense to me today when I listen to it. It's not a terrible it version. Oh, I, I love it. I love it just it. doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It, it doesn't. No. It, then again, it, it really doesn't make sense that Megadeth recorded it either. But you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but they definitely had more of the attitude to do something like that because there's so many parallels in thrash and punk, as you know. Sure. Just basically, we call it hardcore. Right. Uh, but yeah just once again i'm just i'm baffled by that and so i've been talking on and on about how this album sounds great it's a stellar production for sure bruce fairbairn hall of fame producer for sure uh, you could you could rest you in could peace put, yeah exactly you could put me in there with three schlubs in the little mountain studios with that team we'd come up with something at least listenable yeah that all and, being said what happened to this pressing I right mean, thank I know, you i was i, I was getting to that before I even like get to that, though, recommended viewing for anybody who's never seen it, please, if you've never seen Aerosmith, The Making of Pump, must viewing, yeah. must viewing. So buy it, rent Aerosmith, it, whatever. And to Aerosmith's credit, uh, a good chunk of that album was already done at, in Boston, uh, like, you know, in, in their area. And they brought it to Little Mountain to get it tightened up and basically just go in and play it, mix it properly, because they knew they'd get a good sound there. Mm -hmm. uh, so the band deserves a lot of credit for pump, but the icing is all is definitely Bruce Fairbairn. You know, for for a permanent vacation and for that record, sure. Like it's, it's a great X factor. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, why does this pressing blow? <laughs> well, I've got something to show you in terms of that question that you have there, Joseph. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, I literally heard your transfer, and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, is this from like? when I recorded this song off the radio, like, <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, it's got that feel. <laughs> right. It does. You're right. All right. So me. I haven't shared this with you yet. So this is the first time you're going to even see this. Okay. But on December 28th, 2021, I actually received an email from culture factory who pressed these records. So I'm going to share my screen now and we're all going to see this letter right now. There you go. It says, now, for those that are listening to the audio version of the podcast. Yes, please read that because I can't um, read Yeah, that. I'm going to read it in verbatim. We have been advised. Uh, okay, so again, this is from Culture Factory, and it was sent to me on December 28th, 2021, and at 5.37 a.m., because you need to know that. Dear friend, we have been advised about a flaw in the sound quality of this album licensed from Universal Music, which has been responsible for its manufacturing. On side one, the first track sounds like it will play normal, but right as the second track is about to begin and the music kicks in, the level drops by about half and the rest of the album plays quietly with a poor EQ. Whoa. We, we believe there was something going wrong at the vinyl manufacturing plant and have been in contact with Universal Music to try and find out about what happened there. This album will never remanufactured so they mean to say this album will never be remanufactured and all the remaining inventory will be destroyed as the sale of this item has been discontinued. Wow. We at the vinyl store want to give you the best customer experience. Therefore, we have decided to give you a full refund if you choose to return this item to us. Best wishes, 
for 2022 culture factory all right so, so as, as you can probably tell i have not decided to send the album back for a refund as bad as the pressing is overall i did pick a track that's actually the least worst <laughs> Really? Compared to some that's, of the others on the record. That's the least worst sounding one? You're it kidding. Is. It is. Wow. It's, it is. It is one of the least worst. It really is. The rest of the record, there's you know some clicking and popping, especially on songs like Something to Believe in and Life Goes On, the quieter songs. Sure, but yeah. It, again, this really just goes to show you that these vinyl pressing plants are just way too inundated and we're really seeing the results of what's been going on for a while, ever since this whole thing with Adele and her record, uh, taking up all the pressing plants. Uh, I believe one of the pressing plants, there was a fire, so that, that pressing plant was pretty much put out of commission. But I think we're really seeing the results of what's been going on with so many releases being farmed out to other pressing plants overseas, if not in the U.S., and this this is one of the the, the bad results. I mean, but the, the but the track I've chosen to play just want to get that out of the way before we good. talk about this even more. The track I've chosen to play is the track that opens up side B, and it's one of the songs that I would say probably should have gotten a little more play on MTV, and, and it was a top twenty hit. And good. the song I've chosen is "Ride the Wind." I, I will say that that was actually one of the ones I think that was as overplayed at the time when it was out i never wanted to see that video again like hmm. it was it wasn't as overplayed as something to believe in but i i swear they would play it every hour because there was points especially during the summertime i would watch mtv like the whole day it was definitely on headbangers ball weekly oh, consistently and, yeah, for and a while. it was also on the ball like I, i've seen this all week why is it on the ball and people there was probably a good amount of people that didn't even want poison on there to begin with and i i, I could see that side of it too oh for uh, sure by that time yeah I got so sick of Ride the Wind. And it's one of those songs I really liked when I first heard the record. But interestingly enough, I, I got so far removed from that song that I actually appreciated it finally again for the first time in forever. I, I went and saw him like in 2006 or seven or something like that. And that song just kind of got back with me. Like, I think it, Brett even introduced it. Like, we haven't played this one in a while. We got some requests for it. So let's play it. And I just kind of had a rebirth with the song. And I have to agree, it's definitely one of the stronger songs on the record now. But at the time, I, was like, I never want to hear it again. But Heavy Rotation on MTV would do that to me in the same way. They did that to Money Talks by ACDC. Oh, my I God. Hated, yes, they did. I hated them for ruining that song because I love it so much. I mean, as dumb as it is, but I love it. That's another one like over time now. It's like, okay, I love it now. But man, at that time, it's like, no, I never want to hear it ever again. Like, yeah, I totally agree with you on that, too. Yeah. I just, so, uh, yeah. I'm sorry that, wow, <laughs> wow, just, I mean, we're overselling how bad this mix is, but the fact that you're telling me that this is the best sounding one on the whole record, yeah. what must the rest of this sound like? I'm almost morbidly curious to hear it all now, but no, I, I'd no. say get your money back, dude. Just get your freaking money back. I get yeah. the color, the color's cool and all that, but man, wow, wow. It's not really worth it to me to, to send it back. The overseas shipping and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I'm just I'm just gonna keep it. It's really it's no not a huge big deal. You know maybe they'll they'll reissue it again or I'll decide to buy an original pressing sometime down the line. Yeah, but, I would I would I would buy one. As much as I'm not in love with the record, I would definitely buy it for affordable domestic price. 
Yeah. It does have to have the blood cover. And at least yeah. that does. So, yeah, I agree. Because I, I, when I originally bought the cassette, it had the original cover with the blood. I, I made sure to get it because I, I knew it was going to get banned. It was already going around at the time yeah. that it was going to get banned. I, so I got an original open up with the original cover. I bought it day one. So like those maybe lasted a week in the stores before they got yeah. replaced. So I can brag about that one. At least. <laughs> By the way, speaking of what, and those, the, the repressings on Friday sound terrible. Joe Friday laughs at this flesh and blood mix. Like that's how yeah, bad it is. That's how bad it is. Yeah. It's <laughs> unfortunate because it's the really the last poison album I, I wanted on vinyl along with the first two, but you know, whatever I'll, I'll eventually get another one. Like I said, if it's a reissue or if it's an original, I'll eventually get it. Mm. So we, we've talked about it. So when we get to our next music break, we're going to play ride the wind from poisons, flesh and blood on this piece of shit <laughs> Coke bottle, green vinyl. So let's move on. And we'll be a little more positive with this next one. And the next one coming up here is Tesla with Mechanical Resonance, their debut. And as you see, by the same company, Culture Factory. And this one is on blue vinyl. So this one was also originally announced, I believe, during one of the Record Store Day drops Mm -hmm. from 2021. And it was also pushed back. So this one is far better than the Poison reissue of Flesh and Blood. But there are some moments where, again, so it's a bit of a quiet press because you know, you're pressing a lot of music onto one LP. So some moments where you hear a little bit of popping and cracking, but again, not nearly as bad as the Poison record. And I probably would have liked maybe a little more low end overall in terms of the pressing. It is a little high-end heavy, but other than that, I don't really have any big complaints about this one. So I know you're not like the hugest fan of Tesla, but I think this is one of the stronger debut albums of the 80s that really doesn't get talked about very often with like the big debut albums of the 80s. But I think this one's really, really strong. I, I, I do pick on Tesla. I mean, not you too bad, trust me. I, <laughs> I completely respect Tesla. I've seen him live a couple of times. I have like zero issue with him. I'm a greatest hits fan. Like I've got the gold double disc. So actually I'm a little bit more than the average layman on that. Mm-hmm. So I've got enough for the gold double disc, which I recommend if you see the guys, those gold series are great. Yeah. Anything Must in the gold series it. is great. So good. And Andrea Vanarami would, will, will be agreeing with you right now. Cause I know he has Tesla gold. We used to listen to it in his car oh, yeah, during it's, going it's, to and from rehearsals. It's brilliant. And I even said when I, to plug Rock Strikes 10 again, I did the top albums of 1991. And the fact that Tesla cracked my countdown says a lot about how much I really, really enjoy Psychotic okay. Supper. Right. Mm, right. Psychotic Supper. Great record. It's, and I think that's also maybe my big fandom of the Z-Rock radio station at the time, because that was the album that they were pushing at the time. So I just, I really, those singles were massively overplayed, but for some reason I didn't hate them. And I didn't hate any of the other prior Tesla singles or records, but you know, growing up at the time, decently middle class, like you could probably relate to this when it comes to getting allowance money or record money or whatever. Right. Uh, you got you to pick and choose. And Tesla never made my cut as far as like album to album. And like I said, nothing against them. They had long hair and they played loud music. So I was cool with them. But I think like them and the cult have similar journeys with me. Like I just, 
they never connected with me because I never allowed them to have the, any nostalgia for them later on in life. So I just kind of approach them as just that. Like, so that, that, that's just me. And yeah. much respect to them. They've got a killer hardcore fan base. Um, and yeah, it's all good. I just, I always hate when they said, oh, they paired us up with the hair bands at the time. Like, you rode that wave. Don't even act like. They did, yeah. They don't did. even act like you did. If you didn't want to ride the wave of quote unquote hair metal, then don't do interviews from Metal Edge, Hip Raider, Cream, and don't release go on songs. To, don't release songs like Love Song. Yeah, and don't take the Motley. Let's be tour. real. Yeah, exactly. Don't do the power ballad. Don't take the Motley tour. Take the Skinner tour instead. You know, like if that's what you really are and that's what you want, then you know, yeah, I, I always hate that pushback when I hear them because they say it every time. And so does like Def Leppard. Yeah, but they, who they're very yeah. good friends with, ironically, right? Yeah, exactly. And and Def Leppard's different though because they they come from like basically the original era of that. They got to punch their own ticket, you know. Yeah. I, I it's kind of funny when they say a lot of bands sound like us because you know they did. Honestly, they have the luxury of saying that because they were one of the first bands that really did that. Uh, you know, at least from that era, you know, from the early '80s. Right. But any bands that came along after that, you don't get that luxury. You either you either go in with it and accept your fate. Or, you know, whatever. But I think hearing those things would always turn me off a little bit to them in that sense. But like I said, once again, they seem like totally cool guys. I've heard they're cool guys. And uh, nothing wrong with this. I'm just repeating myself. But let's get down to the meat of it. Yeah. yeah. And the only other thing, fun thing I could say about Mechanical Resonance as an observer is I know they toured with Roth. I need them in smile for this record, if I'm not mistaken. So good for them. Cool. I do have a little tie-in to a record we talked about earlier. Okay. Troy Lucetta, the drummer of Tesla, he was in a band with Eric Martin from Mr. Big in the early 80s. I don't remember the band or if it was Eric Martin solo. Eric but... Martin solo, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I, do, I do clearly remember seeing a record. I think somebody posted it up a long while back on one of the vinyl groups that I used to be in. And that's when I first discovered it. So we have a little tie-in there. And it was probably yeah. from like the early 80s, like 82, 83, if I'm not mistaken. Other than that, in talking about this record, the track I've chosen to play, I didn't choose Little Susie or Modern Day Cowboy. I decided to go with another song that typically gets stuck in my head often from this record. The track I'm going to play following Poison's Ride the Wind from Flesh and Blood is Getting Better from Tesla's Mechanical Resonance on Blue Vinyl. So let's get to our next music break right now and play... Poison with Ride the Wind, followed by Tesla with Getting Better.
right, we're back once again. And that was Poison with Ride the Wind from the Coke Bottle Green vinyl pressing of Flesh and Blood, followed by Tesla with Getting Better from the blue vinyl pressing of Mechanical Resonance. And Mechanical Resonance just recently hit its 35th anniversary of release as it was released on December 8th, 1986. So that's just something I wanted to mention before we move on to our next record. Well, so that's why everything hurts on me now. It's because I, I can remember when that album came out. Like, ah, God, 35 years. Wonder. <laughs> I Am Vinyl has turned into old men complaining about body aches. <laughs> I'll do a little Ride the Wind. Uh, remember Al Bundy's dramatic reading of Duke of Earl? You know? Taste the wild. Liquorine. What does that even mean? Anyway. Pick. Pick. <laughs> uh, so with that, let's move on to the next release. The seventh out of eight that I've chosen to purchase. And the next one up is... The, the champion of the record store day drop, as far as I'm concerned. This is the kind of thing that is perfect for record store day. This is what it's all about, folks. And then with the record we're talking about is Aerosmith, The Road Starts Here. And as it says on the hype label, from Aerosmith's Vindaloo Vaults, their first known recordings, all which have been previously unreleased. This is one of the records that, again, pressing is, it's okay. It's not terrible. But there are some, some surface noise issues the vinyl itself, if you hold it up to a lamp really closely, it's, they're, they're dirty as hell. And I could tell you this because I actually decided to buy a second copy of this one after the first one because I wasn't sure if the record was a little defective or maybe it was my stylus. I've since replaced my stylus with a new one again. So when I got the second copy of this from Discogs, there were actually people selling them for list price, thankfully. I decided mm -hmm. to order another copy just to see, is it the record or is it the stylus? It's the record. I looked yeah. on Discogs and reviewers were also noting the same things that I was noticing. I kind of shot myself in the foot where I'm thinking, why didn't I just look at the reviews first before I decided to buy a second copy? I ended up selling it, so I didn't lose a lot of money from it. It was just, I guess, something I needed to find out for myself. I preferably, when it comes to any record, really, I don't... I don't want to buy a record that's brand new and hear like all these pops and clicks and it, it's, it just kind of lowers the excitement of the release for me. I got over it fairly quickly when I did decide to sell that second copy and I, I kept this one. This is the copy that I, that I ended up keeping because it's actually the better copy of the two. The other one had scratches on it too, factory scratches. So Ooh. this is what brings me to another conversation that I know I, I've talked to you about this. But I had, a, I had a conversation with somebody from Experience Vinyl. I'm guessing people have seen the Experience Vinyl ads for the records on Facebook, maybe on, uh, on Instagram. So you're familiar with the company. But what I was told when I was inquiring about another album that I received damage, which was uh, Jane's Addiction, Nothing Shocking, which I ended up sending back for a refund. They told me that basically what's going on right now is with the, the pressing plants being as inundated as they are, a lot of these releases... The records are getting pressed, but a lot of times now, the records are sitting in these factories, just sitting there collecting dust on, on spindles before they're eventually shipped off to be put in the covers. 
So I think this is one of those records that sat in factories for a while. Yeah. I don't know all the particular details. All I know is what I've been told and just from experience, what I've seen with this record. And like I said, it's, it's not terrible, but I do wish at times I didn't have to hear these little pops and cracks and these little mm. scraping sounds like on Moving Out, on the, the, the song that opens up side B. Yeah. I just wish there was a little more quality control and when the records were actually put in the covers and in the sleeves, that they weren't so dirty and already somewhat compromised before you know, we get them on our, on our turntables. Aside from that, this is a, a high quality release and I have nothing bad to say about it other than I, I wish it was the quality control was better. No, I, I completely agree with you. It, they shouldn't be freaking dirty from the get go. Uh, I think I might've gotten a little lucky and yeah, it sucks to hear skips on a record, but thankfully I think all my skipping really happened in the first few minutes where there's literally no music being played. Oh, mine doesn't it, skip. Don't get me wrong. It just, yeah, mine, it just, mine does. So, it pops yeah. and cracks a little bit here and there, and they're, they're loud. It's not like they're like they're low. It's not. And, and oh, yeah. I, you don't have to crank this one either. So if I was no, cranking I mean, this, you know, the pops and the cracks, it would be even louder. Yeah, yeah. On, on principle, as a fan piece, this is a grail piece. Like this is you for all your favorite bands, you want a recording like this, and it's just amazing that Joe Perry had the wherewithal to like have a tape recorder going to record this, or maybe he was put up to it. But it, the fact that it happened is brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I would buy any one of these kind of records from my favorite bands. So it's a cool thing to hear. Any other misgivings I might have about even how it's pressed or anything, the fact that this product even exists gets a thumbs up from me. So yeah. And we have to mention, too, that there's, this was also issued on cassette because, you know, cassettes are coming back. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they are. But I did the Rodney eye roll for those that are it, Yeah, watching. right. <laughs> it looks good on you, though. <laughs> uh, it looks good on you, though. Yeah. Uh, rapping Rodney on cassette, uh, but but dude, yeah, like I, I just think I, I give this definitely more of a pass than almost anything else as far as like how it sounds or whatnot because the fact this came from a cassette, which yeah. thankfully has been at, at least looked over with care over the years or put somewhere safe because the fact that you don't hear a lot of tape bullshit on there, like even oh they did a they did a they did a great job with the transfer. I think it's real to real. It looks like a real to real tape from the, yeah. the inner sleeve. Yeah, so, it's, it's, it's and you can hear like the little wrinkles in the tape. Yeah, yeah, and that's fine. Like, yeah, that's totally is, fine. The cool item, no complaints from me other than the, uh, you know, a little bit of laziness in the factory side of things, and yes. that's some good insight for sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this is this is what you want to do, honestly. Like, and finally, kisses dipping their toe in the vaults. Finally, yeah. I want to see more of this. I've even heard there's tons of, I mean, obviously you would expect this. There's tons of unreleased live Aerosmith shows. So there's only going to be more of these. Uh, and, but yeah, find us stuff like this that we can really sink our teeth into. For yeah. hardcore fans, there's a lot of meat on the bone here. And this made the day for me, you know, so uh, really cool stuff. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the track that I've chosen to play. And I know you wholeheartedly agreed with me on this one. Yeah, you're going to be wondering, on the, on the front end, people out there that haven't heard this, if you're listening to the podcast side where we can actually play the songs, or at least we're going to. Right. Uh, you'll, there is a really neat surprise in it. Is yeah, I'm not gonna, we're not going to say it. We're just going to play it and let you hear it. So those that are diehard Aerosmith fans, and even some that are more casual, I think you know, they might realize it if oh, they, they have certain they records. They will for sure. You, if all you do is listen to Classic Rock Radio all day, you will hear something you've never heard before 
and it's just a neat surprise. Yeah. And so trust me, stick with the song, even if you've heard it a billion times. Maybe, I mean, you probably haven't heard this version of it, so yeah. stick with it. You're going to love it. I love so it. So the track we're talking about is their first official single, and this is one of the earliest versions of that particular song, and it is Dream On. So that is the track we're going to play. From Aerosmith, The Road Starts Here. H-E-A-R, not H-E-A-R. That's right. Yes, we have to point out it is H-E-A-R, not H-E-R-E. Yeah. Before we do that and before we play that song, and as I said earlier, this is a pressing that is limited to 10,000 copies. So good chance that if you check your local record stores right now, there may still be copies available. So definitely recommended, even though I did mention some of those little issues. You know, this is, this is very timely, actually. I tweeted at Aerosmith last night. I'm really starting to get... I'm finally getting into Twitter. I'm finally joining this last decade. But I tweeted at Aerosmith and at MTV to get their shit together and finally put on Plugged Out. That's an official release. Uh, yeah, what the hell's set. taking so long? I need a box set option of like vinyl, CD, DVD, Blu-ray. Make Talk about happen. a record store they release. Aerosmith it, Unplugged. I, I, think, I mean, obviously it's good enough to be a normal pressing, but if so be it if they have to do it that way. Like the fact that that has never existed ever like yeah, as a release is criminal because it's easily in the top three unplugged shows of all time. They're so good that night. So on and all their songs were perfectly catered to the show. Uh, it's the first great unplugged, honestly, if you ask me, because it's early on in the series. Kiss had a real tough time negotiating with MTV yeah. to get yeah, it, but- to get their unplugged to be released commercially. I can only imagine what, you know, they they would have to deal with with Aerosmith, bigger band, bigger dollars. You know, all those songs, the songs they chose to play, you know, whatever yeah, whatever MTV gets out of any of that. Yeah. I mean, I, they just need to make it happen because yeah. even if they take it as a loss, it'd be great fan service. But that show in full on vinyl, on Blu-ray would look gorgeous. Uh, even, yeah. even off the TV transfer, that those shows were filmed so well. They basically filmed them all cinematically. So Blu-ray would look excellent. I think there's a good uh, chance Pearl Jam set finally got out there. Yeah. Commercially. It, it, and it was a record store day release too. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, these things need to happen. I just don't understand why everybody's sitting around, you know, not doing it. So I just kind of got upset with that. I'm, I'm kind of taking inventory of my stuff. So I was really just getting into like, okay, what do I not have that I need? So I'm like kind of making a checklist. And it's always been a thing that's bothered me looking at my Aerosmith product. I literally get upset almost looking at my Aerosmith CDs and vinyl and being like, it should say unplugged right here between yeah. pumping the grip. It really yeah. should. And yeah, it's, it's a total missed opportunity that they have to, they have to make up for at some point. You're right. Yeah. So that's all that, that's my thing on it. Make it, make it happen. Or I, I even said, make it. Let's see who gets that reference. So. Yeah. <laughs> Another tie into Aerosmith folks. Mm. So let's move on to my last pick. And that one is uh, and here's the big payoff to our tease earlier the band with the last hard rock ballad to majorly hit radio as far as I, I've, I've even done some of that research myself also heard it from the horse's mouth jason beeler on uh i believe it was on talking metal he was huh. like yep it's our fault <laughs> the last band to get through with that ballad and i i can't find anything that says otherwise so yeah love is in the way is the uh 
it's the beginning of the end for these bands on the radio, at least on uh, pop radio, mainstream radio, whatever you're going to call it, having big hit singles. I'm not sure what the peak on this was. Obviously, my chart data in my brain is a little skewed from the last factoid I threw out there. But I yeah, we could, think, we could check that afterwards. But I, I, I think this song, I think I, I Love is on the Way, I think Love is on the Way peaked at number 12, if I'm not mistaken. Ooh. Okay, that, that's, that's realistic, I suppose. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out in a little bit. I definitely put them more in the extreme side of things. Is it, God, did they deserve so much better? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was a fan from their first record. And, and I even thought, and I, I, again, I joked around about this on my post of this record. I thought there were some songs on that first record that could have been potential hits. At yep. least, maybe not top 40, but, you know, it could have broken them a little bit. And that first record could have sold a lot more than it did. But again, yeah. you know, I joked around and said, what the fuck do I know? Because Love is on the Way is the song that becomes the big hit for them. And it, it basically, again, it kind of ruined their career because they were never the same again after that. And that's, it's weird because that, that song is fine as a, as a Saigon Kick song. Yeah, it's as, not a terrible it, song. They're... You can tell their influence and their taste and the way they perform, the way they speak and talk about different bands and interviews. Like those guys have a vast palette of taste. So that song makes total sense. I, I just think the label didn't want to do anything with them. And I always say they don't have the payola in place. There's some undeniable stuff that could have at least made it onto heavy rotation on like Headbangers Ball and gotten even much more credibility in that particular bubble of fandom. Uh, but I think they just never had big plans for them. I feel like this was one of those bands that had buzz and got signed off of the buzz. Exactly. And, yeah. But Love is, you hear a song like Love is on the Way, and that was probably something that got heard or overheard in some meeting or whatever. And it didn't matter who did that song, they were going to have success with it. Uh, but yeah. like I said, much like Extreme, whose biggest hit is that ballad, uh, there's so much going on in their catalog, even especially, and I say, going to extreme the porno graffiti record i'm not a big fan of that record i like four songs i like the first one more the first one's better yeah. uh porno graffiti is such a poor representation of their overall catalog and they did better stuff afterwards yeah even three sides I, to every story is a better record three sides is brilliant way yeah. for the punchline is brilliant both in different ways and i i really like the first second kick record i like the lizard a lot too I was thinking that they were that good that they could actually survive the alternative purge, or yeah. whatever, whatever you want to call it. I thought they were good enough to actually hang on and get past all that. I when really I heard this record, when it first came out, uh, you know, I, I honestly didn't anticipate Love is on the Way would be released as a single. I don't know why, you know, thinking about huh. it now. But right. I thought Saigon Kick would be a band that would be outside of that, you know, that power ballad. We have to release the power ballad for them yeah. because the first record... The, the, I think they only released one video, and it was What You Say, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, think, I think that's right. Yeah. And, you know, even that, you talk about the potential that was there. Headbangers Ball relegated that, that particular video to being on, it was relegated oh, yeah. to a, a crank or yank against Taiketo. <laughs> I still have this on VHS. Yeah. I mean, it was things like that. It was just like they were relegated to things like that. They were never really given like a serious push. So that video kind of came and went, but I remember thinking, wow, that's a really good song. And then I remember going to stay with my cousin in Colorado and KBPI radio, the radio station there, they would play Saigon Kick like every day, but they wouldn't just play What You Say. They would right. play other songs from the debut. So 
I remember I asked my cousin, let's go to Sound Warehouse. I want to, I want to go pick up that album on cassette, which I ended up doing. So cut to when this record comes out. And again, for those that are not watching on YouTube, we're talking about Saigon Kick's second album, The Lizard. And this is on reptilian green marble vinyl, limited to 2,500 copies. And it was issued by Real Gone Music. So yeah, it looks really nice. And yeah, oh yeah, it, it looks it looks great, but again, we we get into that area of the quality of the pressing itself. It CD looks right. It, it it looks great, but this yeah. is definitely a record that should have been on two LPs because you, you run into that problem of it's a, a bit of a quiet pressing, so you have to crank it a little bit, and certain songs you're gonna have repetitive pops and cracks on a few rotations, and that occurs mostly for me anyway on my on my copy here on the song peppermint tribe on side a and a little bit on love is on the way which ends side a and this is another one of these records that i decided let me get a second copy let me see if it's the pressing or if it's the stylus before i had re uh, replaced it again in this case the second copy i got was actually better than this one that you're you're seeing on the screen so mm -hmm. I ended up switching out the records and kept this cover, and then I sold the lesser quality pressing on eBay. I guess Real Gone has a good tie-in. Well, and that, I want to talk about Real Gone music too, because again, this is another situation where I was wondering if it's the pressing or if it's the stylus. So I decided to write to Real Gone music because I purchased reissues from them directly from them and they'll, they'll get shipped to me and the covers will be mangled or they'll, they'll be split and the record has gone through the top and bottom of the cover. So you send them an email, they'll, 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 they'll send you like a new album cover and an inner sleeve. If you don't need the vinyl, they, they won't send you the vinyl, but they'll, they'll replace your cover and sleeve if you need it. So I've dealt with them with things like that. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. They're good when it comes to that. Now this is where I have a problem. I looked at the reviews for this record on Discogs, I sent them a letter and I asked them if I picked up this record in a store and it's defective, obviously I know it's limited, but if the record's defective, I can't exchange it. So would you have any extra copies around that you purposely had pressed just in case of any issues like this? And the short answer I got is we don't have any replacement copies. Hmm. But having delved in and looked at Discogs reviews, by other people who purchased it, I did see that others were of the same mind as me and they contacted Real Gone Music for the same reasons. Huh. And they were told that they've basically realized it was not 100% well done. So they acknowledged it. They also said, well, it's a long record being pressed <laughs> on one LP, so. Yeah, what do you want, man? <laughs> but this, this, this is the one that kills me. The test pressings were good. Test pressings are on black vinyl. So yeah. what the hell does that do for me when the record itself is a marbled vinyl, which at times typically has these problems with popping and skipping? What does that do for me if the, if the test pressings were good? <laughs> Who cares? I'm not, I don't have a test pressing in front of me here. Yeah, exactly. I'll take one of those. Yeah. And then I followed up and asked them, will there possibly be a black vinyl release for this down the line? Because maybe I'll decide to pick that one up and maybe that one won't have the same issues. And I got no answer on that one. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So again, I could listen to the record. 
I can enjoy it for what it is, but I'm not happy with it overall 100%. So it is disappointing. And given that they issued the debut album earlier in 2021, I ended up getting the clear white vinyl pressing of that one. Yeah. And that one was very good overall. Yeah, I've noticed. Well, a little quiet, again, yeah. because you know it's, it's a lot of music for one LP, but much better than this one overall, unfortunately. So this was the one that I was looking forward to the most out of all of my eight picks because... Yeah. You know, it's it's not one of the major bands, and and this record outside of you know Love Is on the Way, and it's not like again, it's not like I, I dislike the song. For, you know, I actually like it more than To Be with You on the Mr. Big record. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. But, it's got it's got a great feel. But for sure. when when I listen to Saigon Kick, I want to listen to you know the, the heavier tracks with Saigon Kick. I think it's what they excelled at. You yeah. know, I if if I had to guess they did ballads on these records because they were basically told they had to do some ballads on these records. Yeah, probably. So. You know, there are so ballads I, on the first record and there are ballads on this one. The major difference is, is they push the ballads on this one more. Yeah, and nobody success. would know. And like, it's, they're so good at that heavy psychedelic sound. Like, no, I'm sure there were other bands that were doing this, but I don't know a band that got this far doing that kind of music. And it's a really cool sound for my money. I even love the, much like the third and fourth Extreme albums, I really love Water and Devil in the Details. So hopefully there'll be some releases for that down the line. Hopefully pressed with more care than this. But I, I yeah. gotta wonder, I think I only have half the answer here. I know it's not just gonna be limited to this label, but the Atlantic stuff, Atlantic Records reissues that have been coming out lately, uh, some of them have been very highly anticipated by me. Yeah, they could, al they could always be louder. Even Slave to the Grind, which had a two LP pressing, that could have been a little bit louder. And really? I think so? Yeah, it's maybe it's just maybe I just want it to be like the, one of the loudest records I own because it's just that kind of a record. But it's not it's not horrible. Uh, they didn't do a good job with Donna Spend the Night as far as it being as loud as it could have been because that thing really needs the crunch as well. And I believe that's a real gone license from Atlantic. So. I wonder, man, like, is it all just coming out of that same same factory? I don't know, but they got to... Good question. Or just the way that they're making the plates for those records, they got to do something. And, you know, I think one of the best sounding record store day drops in the last few years, if you're talking just heavy ass, loud sound quality without it being like loud, stupid loud, was Ace Fraley's Trouble Walking. But that was a good one. Was, but that was pressed 45 on... 45 RPM. Yeah, 2LP 45 RPM. So... I'll take that every time if it means getting a good sound. Uh, yeah, and this, this I would have, and, and you know, Real Gone Music, I think they even mentioned on one of their responses to one of these people that asked them the same questions. They said, if we would have made this a double album, it would have been more expensive. I would have paid yeah. more money. I, I would have paid like thirty nine ninety nine for this if it was a double mm -hmm. album because I like the record that much yeah, overall. So again, yeah. it, it, it is a shame well, I didn't get the pressings in this case that I, I really hoped and anticipated months before these came out. So I'm going to say that this batch of Record Store Day releases was probably the worst overall of 2021 and in quite some time, really. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong about that. Before we get off Saigon Kick, by the way, I did want to plug Jason Beeler's solo album that came out last year in 2021. Jason oh Beeler yeah, I gotta hear that. And the Baron von Bielski Orchestra, Songs for the Apocalypse. 
I, I mentioned how much of a fan I am of Water and Devil in the Details. If you're a fan of those records in particular, get this. Uh, there's a lot of like that dark carnival Danny Elfman kind of thing going on. Mm. Uh, and, you know, even just on the surface of the cover kind of tells that story. So you hear some of that influence in there. But if you know anything about Jason, by the way, Jason's a killer human. He's awesome. I have but, listened to some of his interviews. I, I do find him to be very personable. Like if you met him just at random, he would probably be very cool. And, you know, yeah. he, you know he, he, would spend, he would spend the time to answer your questions, you know. He seems like really, that type of guy. Really cool and humble, regular ass guy. And he's great. And the, this album is really good. If you enjoyed Psychonaut Kick in the past and you heard that whole record, Lizard, and loved it, you will really dig what he's been doing. It's, he had, his voice hasn't aged a day. Mm, that's good. Good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, we, we, should, we should also mention that. Um, I did pull my CD out, but uh, it is available on vinyl. And actually, the, my vinyl copy is on order. That's how much I like it, that I doubled down on this record. So there you go. There's my, there's my old plug for Jason. He deserves it. We were talking about it earlier. Where did Love is on the Way peak on the Billboard Hot 100? And I was correct in that it peaked at number 12. So that is one thing that I just wanted to mention. And also, before we get off of Saigon Kick, the interesting thing is they had their biggest hit at this point. And then what ends up happening? Vocalist Matt Kramer leaves the band. And then... They release their third record, Water, and Jason Beeler ends up fronting the band. And I yeah. think at that point they're a trio, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in all in all essence, as far as I know, that was the case. I think they did get somebody to tour with them, uh, and that was, I think they toured with Dream Theater or something during the Lizard too. And like, like Dream Theater was opening for them. Uh, that's. The only thing I really remember about that time is the concerns of them, because unfortunately I never got to see him live. I would just go see Jason on his own at this point, but if you know Saigon ever gets back together, I'll be I'll be in line for that one. Well, I I do want to mention shout out to our friend Joe Royland because he happened to mention to me that he found out that there will indeed be a vinyl press of Water released yeah. by Real Gone Music. So we're gonna have that down the line sometime. Maybe it'll be another record store day release. I don't see why they would make it a record store they release uh, it wasn't it really I mean, wasn't really a big record it didn't really sell it wasn't, a, it wasn't a big record so it makes sense to put it out on record store day that's like if uh it's like if they're going to tout bump ahead by mr big as one of the next yeah yeah there you go good comparison not nothing, good record but it makes sense that you would yeah, yeah you're probably right it probably would make for a good record store day release even though it yeah. wasn't like a, a huge record but it's it goes back to what you said before record store day is made for releases like this i think i've just gotten so used to now you know, we're seeing these albums that were big, at least for a time anyway, that are being reissued or issued for the first time on vinyl as part of Record Store Day. It's just weird that Flesh and Blood was only dropped outside of America, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and well... it's like the most popular album of all of those that we mentioned. Yeah, and I forgot to mention too about the Tesla Mechanical Resonance and the Poison Flesh and Blood pressings. Those were originally on the U.S. Record Store Day list yeah. for Black Friday, and then they were taken yeah. off. So mm -hmm. I ended up finding out that they were released the day after Record Store Day when I saw someone overseas post up their copies on Instagram. That's when mm -hmm. I went to Discogs and ended up placing my orders for both. So that's something that, else that we should mention. That but, pretty much that pretty much confirms that they were pressed overseas. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they definitely they were. were. <laughs> so the, the last thing I'll say about the Saigon Kick record 
is that while it's not the 30th anniversary yet, the record was released on May 18th, 1992. So we are approaching the 30th anniversary of the release of that record. So they released it a little ahead of time, but. <laughs> well, nowadays people are promising anniversaries and they come out the year after now. So yeah, no, that's true. We are seeing some anniversary records coming out well after the fact because of just what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. So let's go to our final music segment and we'll play the last two tracks for the show here and starting with Aerosmith from The Road Starts Here. We're going to play the second to last track on side B. And as we mentioned, that song is Dream On. And the song I've chosen to play from Saigon Kick, The Lizard, on reptilian green marbled vinyl is the first song I actually heard from the record when it was played here locally on one of our college radio stations, 89.5 WSOU. And that song is called Hostile Youth. So let's play those two tracks right fucking now. Shout out to Steve Martin, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles.
That was Aerosmith with Dream On from The Road Starts Here, followed by Saigon Kick with Hostile Youth. So for all the Aerosmith fans that are listening, we hope you enjoyed that little ending there on Dream On, which for fans like me that have been listening to an album like Toys in the Attic for so many years, it is my favorite Aerosmith record of all time. When I heard the very end of that version of Dream On and heard that it's, it's basically You See Me Crying for the most part, oh, yeah. I, was pretty sho- I was pretty shocked by that. I had no idea because, you know, when I listen to You See Me Crying all these years, it has like that same rhythmic pattern as Dream On. So you, you automatically think of Dream On when you're listening to it. But I had yeah. no idea that at some point they were basically one song. So I thought that was very cool. And it, again, again, it goes to what you're saying before about releases like this. These are the type of things that we, we need more of. Yeah. So. And it's neat to hear that. Plus, it almost made me realize that if Dream On hadn't been re- re-released as a single back when Aerosmith started getting hot, I believe it came, the label pushed out Dream On like in 75, 76 or something. Yes. So right around the time the cycle for Toys in the Attic was ending, I, I could be wrong on this time-wise, but I feel like You See Me Crying would have been a big hit single for them. But like it was always about dream on in a sense like yeah. they knew that it was on a record that didn't sell so they never really gave up on the song so I, there might have been that whole plan in the back of their mind to get it out again at some point and that's probably what kept you see me crying from being a single and or a big hit which obviously the potential is there oh I mean, for sure yeah those two great closers in a row the fact that they can pull off a ballad and the closer has always been a really neat thing i mean it's done right that one and at home again uh, home tonight excuse me yeah uh, great and even like what it takes like man those are some killer killers songs some yeah. of the best songs. Um, i would I say like you have... see me crying though like as far oh. as a ballad way better than like you know angel <laughs> you well know? yeah but, but yeah it's, it's it's such a i mean and the fact that the fact that steven had that really beautiful piano line for both those songs so young at that point yeah yeah it's such a mature sounding song for guys that are pretty much just kind of out and out scumbags you know so <laughs> there's that also uh but yeah greatness and it's just a i'm sure every fan that didn't know about that in advance and probably most of us like had that ooh moment at the very end and that's really what it's all about so you know i was probably sitting on that couch right there probably like this oh <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, this is this is something I never knew. Well, speaking of sitting on the couch, this will give you that, uh, was it Maxell that had that ad where the guy's just like, where, where it's like, is it live, you know, or Remember X or whatever? <laughs> they, they had like, yeah, they had that big comfy chair, but I don't think they ever yeah. did a couch. The guy with his hair and his yeah. tie blown back. With the sunglasses, uh, you'll, right? You'll get it out of this release right here, the uh, Motorhead uh, uh. record studio day release. Uh, the Lost Tapes, live in Madrid, June 95. 22 burners, all balls, no ballads, of course, as Motorhead, who plays rock and roll. And the really neat thing about this, first of all, killer sound quality. I mean, I this could have been a soundboard, but if it was, they cleaned it up really well. I think I like this better than the live album that came out after it. Uh, they put out a they put out a really decent live album called uh, Everything Louder Than Everything Else around the same time, but they probably should have put this thing out because this thing is great and like I said, once again, the sound quality is really, really good. And just the, and this is a spoiler, but uh, the first track, they open up the show with Ace of Spades. 
which is usually reserved for like basically almost like a set closer at least at least halfway through a set i think this might have been the only tour where they open with it i could be wrong but it's, it's an anomaly at this point for sure but them just kind of playing it and getting it out the way but also one maybe the one of the best live versions i've ever heard of ace of spades and that's saying a lot yeah it just it kicks off the album in just an amazing fashion like oh they're not playing around so i champion all of the latter day motorhead stuff anything you know basically from the last lineup era which is you know phil and mickey as a, as a trio there's some amazing stuff out there to be had that people still haven't really gotten hip to it's a really good snapshot of that period because we're about right. three years into that lineup. But it's a really, really good live album, and I hope they continue on. I, I think they are putting out another Vault Series title really soon. But yeah. I love to see this. And obviously, some of our favorite bands of all time that we grew up on and been around our whole lives, their stories have either come to an end or they're coming to an end. Uh, so getting this stuff out is really nice. And it you know, keeps the name out there, keeps it alive, and... Uh, a lot of people may not have gotten this. I know you didn't get it, people. I'm not going to beat you up. But, and uh, there's, I mean, Motorhead catalog anyway is very intimidating. Even yeah. if you just stick to the studio album. Yeah. Like I but said, the only reason I didn't, I didn't decide to get that one is just, I was trying to keep my choices to a minimum. I didn't want to go too crazy. No, it, I understand. Was, it was a live release. So I wasn't, you know, hundred percent sure what we were getting, but I'm glad it's, it's of great quality. So maybe someday down the line, if there's yeah. copies floating around, I'll get it. Yeah. So definitely a recommended by, by me here for sure. That, that was like the last thing I really had to say. I, I missed out on some other titles. I wanted to, there was like a stray cats triple live album that I couldn't get a hold of. I missed out. on. Oh, right. Live. The one from music on vinyl. Yeah. I uh, missed out on that one, unfortunately. And you know, maybe a couple other things that I missed the weird Al. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Record Store Day coming up in a, in a few months. They've already announced Taylor Swift is the ambassador, by the way, if you, if you missed that yesterday. Um, I, I did miss yeah. that one. Oh, it was trending a lot yesterday. I thought it was, I, I, actually, when I initially saw it, I thought it was a joke, not because it was Taylor Swift, but because she's doing that whole thing where she's selling her re-recordings and making it an event, which is pretty neat on the surface because when has anybody been able to make a big deal out of re-recordings ever? Yeah. So, I, I've been following the story for that reason, but they're all called Taylor's version because it's her taking her music back from her old label. Yeah, that, I, that stuff I've heard about. Yeah, so the, the funny thing is they always have the badge with the person's face on it, and so it's just like Record Store Day 2022, Taylor's version at the bottom. And oh, I okay. It's okay. funny, actually. So I was like, good branding right there. Uh, but yeah, I, I always have high hopes. I hope there's, I mean, there's always going to be something we're going to want to get, if not six titles. Was there anything else that you decided to pick up? I know I got a few more <laughs> right offhand. I honestly can't remember what they were. And, but it's weird because that doesn't make, make them bad titles. It, it definitely actually, they're probably fine because if I remembered them, it probably would have been in a bad way. So uh, I guess that's my teaser for the next episode. Okay. We'll let you know everything else I got next time. Probably okay. some random soundtrack that I just forgot that I got. Well, wow. well, we'll close out by saying that I want to have positive thoughts about the next Record Store Day event. Obviously, this last batch, it's kind of soured, you know, my feeling a little bit, you know, of, of the anticipation of these records, because now you kind of don't know what you're going to get with these pressings. If you're going to get a quality pressing or if you're going to get something defective yeah. or half-assed. So yeah. it has kind of taken away the luster, 
we use that word, it's taken away the luster for me at least a little bit. And you know, you know me, I'm a huge vinyl fan, huge music fan, but you know, you gotta be realistic too. We're spending money on these things and sometimes, you know, premium prices and we're not really getting what we're paying for in some cases. So yeah. it's probably going to skew my, my thinking a little bit in how I approach these future record store day events, how many titles I decide to buy, which, you know, I, I did that with this last record store day. And I guess that turned out to be a good idea because I, I think less was more in this, in this case, if I, if I would have picked up more, I might've been a little more disappointed with some of the other ones that I may have potentially decided on. So I'm with you in that. I, I want to really have positive thoughts about the future record store day events. So I don't have high hopes that major, the major labels are going to take any lessons from uh, well, any honestly, of their mistakes because, you know, I, again, I've heard from the same people that were talking to me about the Aerosmith record sitting in the factories too long. There's yeah. talk going around that the major labels are going to be, you know, downsizing their vinyl output. And obviously, probably because of what's going on with the pressing plants, but also because, you know, they're, they're taking a, a big hit when it comes to defective records and returns and things of that nature. But, you know, I mean, I, mean, I, can, I can only say then, then put out better quality products and, you know, don't, don't put it on us when the records turn out like shit and we want, we want replacements. And then, you know, they're going to sit there crying and complaining that, you know, if they're burning too much money on this stuff I, I don't know yeah well the reality is we're still in a goddamn pandemic i mean that's really that's really the lead of this whole thing like we're still in that factories aren't at full strength they don't have full staffs now with that think about they're almost two years backlogged now yeah. as far and the fact that you know i've talked about target a couple of times on here you know and, and people might vilify target but you should at least in in a normal world that isn't in a pandemic, you should be able to walk into Target today and yes, you will be able to buy the new Adele and, and Taylor version. But like you could also walk in there and get Rumors or Purple Rain and a million other records, Abbey Road, Weezer Blue. Those were the things you were seeing prior to this. You knew, okay, that's kind of always going to be there because these records are never going to go out of print because they're super popular and they've sold millions of records. That's not right. been the case. They've become limited editions just by default because the factories are so backlogged. Right. Even something that should take priority like those particular titles, whenever a big thing comes out like an Adele or a Taylor Swift album, everything has to take a back seat because none of the factories are at full strength. And until we can get past all this crap, which means everybody got to go do the goddamn right thing. Yeah. You want your records, you want your concerts, don't be an asshole. So I think you understand, read between the lines, is what I'm saying here. Once we can finally get past that, maybe things will get better. So it sounds yeah. like we're being selfish, but at the same time, people got to fucking act right. And then we maybe get good pressings and all the copies that we could ever need of most anything that we want to buy. And that's just the facts. Well, couldn't have said it any better, Joey. So I think that's a good place to leave on this episode. So thank you for your time once again. And I thank everybody for listening and watching as we enter another year of this podcast. So we will hope to return as soon as possible with the next episode. Don't know exactly what we're going to be covering on the next episode just yet, but we will return as soon as possible with the next episode. So thank you once again for tuning in here on YouTube 
and tuning in to the audio version of our podcast here at cnjradio.com. And as always, please be sure to check out our other shows here at cnjradio.com. You got Joey's show, Rock Strikes 10. You got the Wrestling House show, Talking Rock, Ooh. and The Last Theater, and also The Synaptic Empire with Randy Brown. So, Yeah, and a little programming note there, since you mentioned Talking Rock. Talking Rock has now officially ended. As oh, right, of, right. As of a few weeks ago, but that's actually a good thing. So you out there, people out there, if you're not subscribed to SiriusXM, go do it. Our brother, Mark Striegel, yeah. has has a job now at SiriusXM. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations to Mark on that, by the way. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. He's, he's a good brother. Yeah, he's on there. He's on Ozzy's Boneyard, and I think he'll be doing some stuff on Hair Nation. But if you have the Sirius, this is my commercial. But I'm, I'm going to do it here. If you have the SiriusXM app, go on there, and you can look up Mark Striegel's name. And you can set your phone. It'll tell you when he's on the air. I, I, I've done it myself. You can like the show just like you like a podcast or like a song on a streaming service. Just hit that star. Hit that notification. Hit Like, like you're doing on this video right here. Hit those notifications. And those yes, likes. please. Give us a subscribe, too. We could definitely use that here on YouTube. Yes, please. But, yeah, go, go uh, help out our brother, Mark. Because if you're tuning into a show when he's on, it definitely helps. And uh, we wish him all the best because he's the man. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Good note to end out on. Great note to end on. So thank you all once again, and we'll see you next time right here at cnjradio.com. <laughs>